Welcome to the Safina Society podcast, everyone. Welcome to the Mad Mamluks. What people are really looking for is Jannah on Earth, where you can do anything, nobody has an evil intent behind it, and only good things ever happen, and there's never any harm resulting from it. And it's an immature point of view. If you're moving from one type of imprisonment to another, and from one type of freedom to another. Like, oh, you know, if I just read some Quran, this will solve the problem. For some people, it's a lot deeper than that. These things are habits, right? So habits with triggers all over the place. If a person really seeks, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide that guidance. That's the thing. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Safina Society Mad Mamus Collaboration Podcast. First of all, I want to thank the brothers here for inviting us to uh, Central Jersey, the armpit of America. Oh, be careful. <laughs> be careful. Wow. You, know, we, you know, we side town folks are pretty high class, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so ridiculous. <laughs> no, let me tell you what's the funniest part. You know the funniest part that I, always gives me a kick? When they put, like, New York and Chicago... And LA, like they put Chicago in the middle of the same set with New York. Or the second city. Because you know that's not, they're not even close to being in the same set yeah. as New York, oh, no. right? Oh, no. And they put like New York, Chicago. Wait a second, why did you put New Chicago next to New York? New York is all by itself. My, my theory on cities in America is that there's one city. There's one city. It's New York City. Yeah. Chicago is like a like a really big town, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And then that's it. Everything else is like it's a nice sprawl little town. Yeah. The brothers then, are working on our nuts right now. They're destroying kinda, our kids. Like, uh, the Giants led. fans, uh, New York Giants fans, being uh, uh, part of New Jersey or, or New Jersey fans taking pride in, in the Giants winning the Super Bowl is, is see pride. see New York is so big. Its suburbs are states. <laughs> right? Exactly. New York State, Connecticut, and New Jersey are all suburbs of the city, and really. Honestly, when you go to the rest of the world, when I moved to London, I was like, okay, where is London, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I think you're talking about sheer size. I don't think anyone would debate like on sheer size. But one thing about – so I love New York. I love the vibe of New York. The one thing that drives me nuts, though, is just the trash on the streets. Oh, we got it's, it, that, that's only certain parts. Right? Uh, it was like in Soho, like in Manhattan. You would expect, really? yeah. I mean, but you, I think it's but wait, a space you, but issue, right? You guys are Daisy, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are you complaining about? I, when I, I was, we were just talking about this. I went to when I went to London last a couple of years ago. I visited East London. Uh-oh. It was the only part, the Muslim Bengali part. Yeah. It's the only part that was full of trash. Bengalis yeah. <laughs> are like that. So why, so why <laughs> are you complaining about New York? Now the element of New York is so obvious. The reason why is because it's surrounded by water, so they have to build up, right? Yeah. And you yeah. have to cram everything. So there's no other city that's really like that. So Chicago, London, L.A. Yeah, they just sprawl out. They're all sprawled out. So in that respect. So I can imagine, though, you could probably make more friends and have, like, a better life and have a little city vibe in Chicago. Same as London. Like, you could actually live there. You can't really live in New York City in Manhattan. When I say New York City, I mean Manhattan, right? And live a normal life. No, right, you no. Can't. There's too much good stuff around. It's yeah. not a normal life at all. <laughs> well, Chicago also had the advantage of being burnt down and yeah. then rebuilt. What is it? The 1892 fire or something? Yeah, like yeah that, that cow knocked yeah, the over cow knocked the, over the, the, the bucket. Cow. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's called the second city, though, because it was kind of like the second I, version. It, a lot of people think it's second city as it relates to New York. I think that's what it is. No, no it's second city because of the fire. Oh, I the thought they were like actually being honest yeah. <laughs> with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. City New York. Also called the city of broad shoulders. But uh, dude, well, I I once uh, there was a, a sheikh 
he was a little upset with me. So his kids were getting married, and they have to be getting married in our mosque, right? So I went. It was, it was his grandkid, actually. I went, and uh, his kid had moved to New Jersey, right? So I was like, oh, so you're becoming like a New, a New Yorker, New Jersey now, right? Dude, his mom flipped out on me. They started getting so upset. No, never leave Chicago. So you guys are very, very emotional about. Uh, We're very Chicago Sharifish. Yeah, it's yeah, like I mean, really yeah. emotional about. It. We've had a lot of bad sports teams for a while, so <laughs> we finally won the World Series in, with the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. So now we have a little bit of a backbone. Dude, dude, we just you had Jordan, so if yeah. you have nothing for the next century, you're fine, yeah. right? That's yeah, true. <laughs> Same with Boston, like right? Are th- are there any Muslims of any other background in in uh, Chicago? Oh yeah, not as not as much as New York, but yeah, I mean, we have like all one Arab family. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a huge, no, there's, a there's a big Egyptian Palestinian. Oh yeah, I, population. I live in like Little Palestine. There's a there's a wing of Palestinians, yeah, and a wing of Desis. So there's a wing where like for and and it's unfortunate, and it's a message out to the Palestinians to really like you know think about this. The Quran is memorized like seriously in the Desi wing of Chicago, and the meat is. You know, secure like you know that they took care of the meat in that area of Chicago, whereas the meat there is going on fatawa, say Bismillah and eat whatever it is, okay. And the Quran is not really like a top priority to be memorized, whereas in Chicago, any of these masajid in the Desi community, mashallah, it's amazing. It's like they're going for the whole hifz. They're not doing. They're not contenting with three juz or two juz, right? They're they're serious about it, well, so wait, they're keeping up the dean. The reason I asked the question is because uh, Shahamar referred to it as Chicago Sharif, yeah. and that's the case when you have a lot of Desi yeah, Muslims, exactly. yeah. right? <laughs> that's why I said because that. a lot of Desi Muslims means that there's people that are dressing correctly, have the right appearance, are dedicated to the Quran, yeah. are scrupulous about what they eat, mm-hmm. are it's like their their embracing of Islam is total, mm-hmm. it's holistic. And uh, and it's always outward manifestly and also inwardly. And manifest. it's their first priority, unlike it's one in a list of my identity. Yeah, right? yeah, no, it is the center of your identity. It's the center, yeah. and nothing else really matters. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're not going to be pretentious and say that all the Muslims are there are like that. Of course not. But um, the the combo of New York and California, I think, is in Chicago. And you have the mindset of Muslims. You'll find every type of Muslim there. Um, and, uh, you know, there's even an MCC is a big Moroccan population. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I actually thought Dr. Shadi at first when I used to see you online, I thought you were Moroccan. Oh, I didn't know you were originally Muslim. Yeah, you have the, the, the facial structure of Moroccans too. I would never guess you're. Well, we have uh, some uh, on my mother's side. Uh, she always tells us that one of her grandparents uh, came over from, oh, from Morocco. But this is, this is true for like probably 20% portion, of yeah. the Egyptians. Yeah. And 20% Egyptians are probably also, maybe more, also have a type of Albanian or yeah. Turkish uh, yeah. root in them. And, and my, my father's side, all the ants, all my ants, they, they have the type of slanted forehead and the lighter skin and the blue eyes. You know, that type of look with a little reddish tint to it. Uh, same thing with uh, my wife's side. Clearly, there's some Turkish somewhere there on her father's side. Right, so all Egyptians are really mixed. The only Egyptian that's probably not mixed is the Coptic Christian. And if you notice, they all look similar. Yeah, yeah. like mm. they don't have any of the features that Egyptian Muslims will have. Like right. They have that pure, like that uh, the Egyptian feature of that olivey, darky olivey skin and the tight hair. Right, they all have that. Mm. 
So in East Brunswick, in this area, in New Jersey now, this is like their second home, Coptic Christians. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. tons. Tons of them. Really? You go to a pharmacy, Mary or, you know, Gerges will, will give you yeah. your pills. And they oh. study. And I even tell my kids, right? Like, you see those brown people in the store, but they're not Muslim. They're Egyptian, right? They didn't... They, they're the, they got the shock of their lives when they saw that there's an Egyptian who wasn't a Muslim, right? <laughs> but but I said, look, you got to be like these kids with their textbooks studying, yeah, right? Because you, when you have these minorities like the Chinese, the Egyptians, right, the, the Coptic Egyptians, I mean, uh, and the Indians, they're like these model minorities. Yeah. And by the way, Pakistanis are up there too, yeah. as model minorities. And what does that tell you about American culture? The, the longer you stay in, the, in America, the worse your habits get. It's a fact, right? The worse Ooh. your habits get. So what does that say about American culture? And the, the whole uh, Sachs, what's his name? Leon Sachs or whatever? Leonard, Leonard, Leonard P. Sachs. Sachs. Leonard P. Yeah. Sachs. His whole thing, and his, well, he went all over the, the news and his, his whole uh, tour is all about identify American culture and avoid every aspect of it, well, right? Because it's destructive. That talks about that theory in sociology yeah. that talks about how um, nations when they rise and then they fall because the the people who were suffering they mm-hmm. end up getting fat and lazy that's what and it they, is they, they're, uh, they yeah. lose the tradition mm-hmm. of their forefathers who had done all the struggle yeah. but America found a way around that by having a steady stream of immigrants yeah. who can actually um, be mitigate, hungry yeah, have they hunger hungry and mitigate yeah. that, that problem they realized that they, it wasn't overlooked they knew yeah. that they, they had this goal but how do we mitigate this problem where we constantly have people who are idea. striving for success. And just the idea mm. that the Protestant at one point used to be associated with the Protestant ethic, right? The white Protestant was, you know, the hardest worker, et cetera, et cetera. And now, if you're a white and you're evangelical, that's almost like a curse. Like, you're going to be at the bottom of the barrel mm. intellectually. That's or that's the association. And that's definitely what the... It's an interesting point. The coasts want to a, a present. Of, well, a lot of... Uh, a lot of conservative, like uh, legal analysts, they talk about why the Supreme Court is stocked with Jews and Catholics. Yeah, and it's because Protestants have taken like an, an anti-intellectual uh, route, route in this in in America. Yeah. They've given up on academia mm-hmm. and you know that kind of stuff. They'll, like they'll go to school, they'll become bankers or whatever. Yeah, but they're they're not pursuing any any of the more intellectual pursuits yeah. that will end up getting you into a, a high court job. Bill Belichick, I saw a thing on him. And they asked him, like, how do you keep succeeding like this? And one of the things that he did, he didn't really talk about it, but people observed it. He never updated the offices. Like, with all their championships, he didn't put, like, a trophy case. Really? He didn't update the offices. When they go in, it's like a grimy, nasty old office with partitions, you know, like the mm-hmm. – in a cheap – Almost uh, like a cubicle type Like partition. cubicles for people. His office is nasty, right? He never updated anything. And one of the studies – I think we talked about this one time before – a study on uh, one of the most successful schools. This university that produces extremely successful yeah, people. We did talk about it. Yeah. So w- when they were looking at why certain schools constantly produce very successful people, and the only commonality they could find is that the place was grimy, physically grimy. All right. So people get there and they want to get out of there, and there's nothing to do but study, because like there's no like pool. You go to Rutgers today; it's a mall. And a th- like, yeah. like a park. It's a place you want to be, and there happens to be a school there. Well, how are you going to study? Yeah. Right. Same thing with ESPN. A lot of sports networks started up. Why did they defeat everyone? Because they were in Bristol, Connecticut. There's mm-hmm. nothing to do. 
right? <laughs> right? Except go to work. So people are like, on Saturday, what is there to do? Well, let's pop over to ESPN. So people are logging in like two times the times of work that people uh, in other companies were logging Especially in. Especially in New York City. Yeah. yeah. In New York City, I mean, you, you don't work. You don't want to work. Yeah. Anyone who <laughs> signs, by the way, any athlete who signs intentionally to be in New York, unless he has a personal mission, I'm going to bring a championship like to my hometown, they always flop. You're coming here for the glitter and the glitz, not for the sport, right? Not for the game. They always flop. You're, what you're saying is exactly feeding into what my theory, into why so many people fail when they try to learn the Arabic language. And I've always told this to Sheikh Amr that because we have so many distractions around us, yeah. we're never able to focus on the importance of the Arabic language. And it is my belief that if you seriously do want to learn the Arabic language, you should go to North Africa, even for a year of North Africa, being in seclusion with no distractions and get, getting some discipline in your life, yeah. that will be better than five years of study in, of Arabic. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that Sheikh Sadiq lamented that obviously as people discovered Mauritania and whatnot and, and the whole world is advancing, that stuff is getting easier. And he said, this is destroying us because it's bringing in, as things are getting easier, well, likewise, it's easier for people to open up a shop. It's likewise for people to put in you know, some um, bandwidth to get there, right? So internet to get there. And as a result, hip is no longer the only thing to do. So mm-hmm. the, in Shekhiah, uh, he said that in uh, Mauritania, because there's nothing else to do, when they want to relax after dinner, they set a fire. Mm-hmm. The maximum will happen is that someone will have, luckily, went to the city and bought back green tea and sugar, Right, yeah. and then they'll uh, open up the books and have like thick riddles, riddled like, well, okay, what happens if this happens, or what happens if a man marries a woman, then she gets kidnapped, then the man goes off, and then she falls in love with the kidnapper, and then marries a kidnapper. When is it a divorce, and when is it a remarriage? So, All that like stuff like that. Sheikh, this is riddle. a danger too, though, because that's how we ended up with Hanafis. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa! You guys got something to so one thing, I'm I mean, we're, we're, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about the American Muslim community, and it's interesting you highlighted how like the griminess of settings. Mm-hmm is inversely proportional to how well you do. Yeah. But recently, you were in Chicago. You were at Dar es Salaam. I know you had a great time there. Yeah. But Dar es Salaam is a pretty sick facility. But they're, like, doing some of what you call meat and potatoes kind of work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do you reconcile that? And do you see that as, a, as an outlier as far as what you've seen in the community overall in America? Well, there's a wisdom for the opposite. There's a wisdom in, in a time where people have less motivation that you actually have to make your masajid uh, beautiful. They have to be places where people want to step Tried in, him, yeah. right? But you just got to keep the life simple. Like, for example, um, one of the things I've always lamented is you can count the number of places that are done with style. And by the way, putting up expensive stuff does not mean you know what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Because I went to a masjid recently. I had a lot of expensive mihrab, expensive rugging. Everything was expensive, but nothing matched. So it doesn't mean you know anything about style. It means mm. you have money, right? Mm. So, I, so uh, having a sense of style, to me, is critical. But having simplicity is really is also really important. Yeah. So simplicity, to me, so the day is simple, and, right? If I was to have a madrasa, one of the, th- the, the, the goals that we have here is we're going to have a madrasa. You, you guys aren't going to hog all the Darus Salams and just churning out factories of Ahnaf. Ahnaf, 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 right? <laughs> okay? I think so, that's the goal, though. 
But by the way, it's going to what does that say about the barakah that Imam Abu Hanifa has in the in the heavens? Subhanallah. Yeah. That uh, we actually broke it down. Remember that one time we broke it down where we said, okay, Muslims are greater than Catholics, right? In numbers. In numbers. And and in every other way, but yeah, Sunni Sunnis are greater than Catholics in numbers, right? Now, if you do, and the, the Catholic groups are many. The uh-huh. madhahib of Catholicism are many. Yeah. The madhahib of Islam are like three main ones, four, okay? Within those who identify as Sunnis, okay? The Hanafis are 40% of the Sunni Muslims, right? Uh, the Catholic uh, by groups... Ca- Sheikh, by Catholic, you mean like all the Orthodox, like Greek Orthodox, Coptic, that stuff? No, or just the, Roman Catholic. the Roman Catholics, right? They have different groups of, of their leaders, too. So we actually deduced that but after the MBA, Im- Sayyidina Imam Abu Hanifa radiallahu ta'ala, has the greatest following of all people after the prophets. Think about that. I don't know, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I remember I, when a lot of that also has to do contemporarily about the courtrooms in the past 800 years, even in Egypt, of except course, for yeah. four articles are still conducted in the Hanafi fiqh. Yeah. You know, even in Turkey. Yeah. Um, so even in Islamic history, that actually paved the way for this um, this practical knowledge of of, of of judges yeah. conducting their courtrooms in, in Hanafi fiqh. Someone know? recently attacked uh, the the notion of the Ahnaf and the Malikis have the same Ahnaf that, uh, ruling that to rule, to make absolute law from an Ahad hadith. Mm-hmm. And by absolute, I mean an obligation or a prohibition from an Ahad hadith. And you don't have that, and the Malikis qualify that. You qualify it, and we qualify it, right? And he went off as a noise. As long as it has a sound chain, it's absolute law. Well, we don't know the context. You don't, there's so much you don't know. Yeah. So you have to qualify it with the other texts, which is what you do and we do. And the Shafi'iyah on some cases do, right? On some ca- situations they do. So um, because of that, the Hanafi law does not have that, that many prohibitions, right? If you th- in, in the sense that it's more flexible. There's more room. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's to say that they don't have many prohibitions is not the right expression. Yeah. But there is more room, and that's why it worked better for the judges. Are you saying because um, Hanafi law was more, uh, the sources of knowledge were more context Thick. No, the sources of knowledge had to come down with thickness of narration, right? Okay. That means not one hadith, one hadith, one narration, even if it's sahih, will not render something to be absolutely prohibited or obligatory. Yeah. But it will be qualified and may be put into frowned upon or yeah. recommended. The reason why Imam Hanifa, for instance, he his classification, which was the Madrasa of Ahl Ra'i originally and the Malikiyah were the Ahl Hadith originally, is the Medina was Ahl Hadith, meaning that the abundance of Hadith that they had as Imam Malik from you know Nafi' and Abdullah bin Umar. Um, there was an abundance, and a lot of the Sahaba were in Medina. Imam Hanifa was from Kufa, mm-hmm. right? So the Ahl al-Ra'i had to utilize the hadith that they had, which wasn't as an abundance as the Ahl hadith had Medina, the Malikiyah. Yeah. So they had to utilize, and the cultural, the, the, ge- the geographic uh, mindset was completely different in, in Kufa. The Kufa, they were known as people of, I don't mean this in a condescending way, but civilization, engineers, and, you know, uh, technology. The people of, 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 uh, of, of Medina were more farmers. Uh, farmers, desert, you know, yeah. Bedouins. I don't really mean Bedouins in, 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 kind of in, in a negative sense, but they were looked at by the Persians 
as the people of the desert mm -hmm. because the educational standards in Persia were manifolds above them. So the dilemma that the Hanafis may have had was the lack of narrations that the people of Medina had. But the advantage the people of Kufa had was a whole different science of extrapolating. Yeah. Right? And so this, this led Imam Hanifa rahimahullah to be very strict on certain things, but very lax on the face value on certain things. What do I mean by that? Lax meaning what Imam Hanifa's and his students and his council, which was originally 80 people in council, but the main students were Imam Muhammad, Imam Yusuf, Qadi Abu Yusuf, and Imam Zufar, Imam Hanifa. Their goal was to say, how much can we expand the boundaries until we get into haram? So I want you guys to imagine that there's a bubble that's, that there's a balloon that's being blown up, right? Mm. We want to stop where the popping point is and talk about everything inside. Yeah. There's a misconception about the Hanafiya, right? The misconception is that as long as you can use your mind to make something, that's a very Mu'tazili thought. That's not how Imam Hanifa thought. His thought was this, listen, we have to find where the boundaries of haram actually start where we can stop. Yeah. The Malikiyah were very strict. You know, and I don't mean, sorry, I don't want to disrespect, there's a sheikh from the Malikiyah, I don't want to talk on the behalf of the Malikiyah. But what I, from what I understand of the Malikiyah, please tell me and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. is that the Malikiyah, they said, listen, we have this abundance of hadith, we're living on the Ard of Rasulullah Imam Malik didn't want to wear slippers. Mm. In Medina, in fear of stepping where Muhammad Sallallahu would step, right? So he was like, we have the hadith. We're not going to go anywhere past these hadith. We have them in front of us. We're going to apply what we have. And that's, he's the Imam Dar al-Hijrah, you know? And the reason I love, like talking about Imam Malik, just a little side thing. I tell people, yes, I studied and I specialize in Hanafi fiqh, but my favorite Imam out of all of them is Imam Malik. And I think living in Mauritania had to do with that, like a personal connection. You, you met Murab al-Hajj? I, unfortunately, the brothers that I was with, went to meet him and I had a fever at the time so I didn't get a chance to meet him. Yeah, subhanAllah. So anyway, so what the Hanafis do is, and people misunderstand that by Imam Hanifa, but Imam Hanifa says, listen, we have to expand the boundaries to see where the halal ends and all of that you can do. Some of those are not encouraged. That's where people, the confusion is. They think because Imam Hanifa expanded upon all this, he encouraged the line which is before the haram starts. He didn't say that. What he's saying is this is the end. Because we're researchers. Mm -hmm. This is what we should stick to. We're people of taqwa. But where does a haram start? Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about. Right? And people misunderstand that. Just and to make that clarification. So yeah. I got a question about that. Because I think a lot of times people perceive Hanafis mainly because people perceive like Diobandis. Yeah. Or you know, training Hanafi fiqh to be extremely strict. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of people perceive Malikis in America because of like a lot of like famous like maybe celebrity shiuk tend to associate with of Imam Malik to be a bit more like lenient or like accommodating, etc. Yeah. Or hippies, you know, or hip, right, right. <laughs> it's a ridiculous, uh, <laughs> but that's not true. But you know, the buying and selling of the Malikia is a very difficult situation. They don't, we don't have to deal with buying and selling with the Malikia in the states, right? So we get just the ibadat portion where people may think is easier, whatever the case may be. But the buyur, which rulings, as far as buying and buying and selling, like uh, what an example? Oh, I don't, I don't know exact examples, but I'm I saying, heard it was the chef either. The the are, but yeah. What, yeah. what I'm talking about is when, when I was in Mauritania and people were going to Khalil and get to Buyur and some of the just the stuff that would go by out, they would spend a lot of time and lots of confusion and mm. and not because that obviously there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't what I'm leading to is a lot of people think that they say, Oh, this this madhab is easier, this is harder it doesn't actually work like that. Yeah. There may be certain chapters because you're living in Persia, for instance, and you're a Maliki, that's obviously gonna be difficult for you. 
you're in America, you're living as an amalgam of all these different madahib. Some people have madahib, some people don't, some people don't practice Islam. And they may see something from the Hanafiya and they're like, it, it, that, it, that actually doesn't even make sense in the fiqh world that this madhab is harder, this is easier and all. No, that actually doesn't really make too much sense. I, I think, I think because I, I understood Mahin's question, I actually knew exactly what he was going to say, right, as soon as he started saying it. I think that some of the, some of that impression that people get, um, especially living in America from, from the Hanafis, um, especially the Indo-Pak Hanafis, is that they're very uncompromising on their positions yeah. in a, in a way that seems it's it's almost reminiscent of what you get when you deal with like hardcore Salafis, right? Yeah. And there's so a like historical reason. For you know that, that story yeah. you were telling about uh, the in Egypt, the guy talking about the beard, just let it grow all the way up to your eyeballs, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah if your beard is not a fist length, you're you're just haram, and that's all it is, right? There's yeah. no there's no room for well, you have a different opinion. Derek, yeah, Derek uh, brings up a question before we get we we finish that subject. Is it correct? I was recently told that in the Hanafi school, a sunnah muakkada to leave it without a valid reason is sinful. To make a habit of leaving it, yeah. To make a habit of leaving it. Me, me, okay. Yeah, same thing with... Like the, an example, was that the two rakab, like before Fajr? Two rakab before Fajr, or any, without a valid reason. Without right? a valid reason. And we have to understand why Imam Hanifa... To leave actually, it habitually, not to leave it once. Yeah, sinful. habitually. Habitual. Yes. Okay. Is, 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 so, all that comes to narrations. I don't know if we want to talk about narrations and why he made that classification. Mm. But to get to your point, I think it's a really important point. And I think Dilbundis get knocked on this for this. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually be fair here, is that there's a historical reason why Dilbandis seem to be very strict on Indopak, and it's very historical and happens. It's about the British colonization that occurred, and even at that time, the ulama would say that anyone who dresses up like a Westerner, like the invader, because that's how they see it, saw it, right, is... That's what it was. Yeah, it wasn't it's, it's a danger of leaving the fold of Islam yeah. because you're resembling the enemy right now. Yeah. And when the Brits came, so the the madhab and Dilban people think it's actually a school. It's a movement. It's it's very very clear. No, there, there's nothing hidden about that. Dilban is actually considered a movement, mm-hmm. and that movement was to fight the colonization. Yeah. And they still one thing I respect about them a lot is they still stuck to that. But I may disagree where that application doesn't apply in many instances anymore. So you don't have to have your guards up so high anymore, right? But it's because of the British occupation, and they didn't want that resemblance. They were feared. The scholars at that time yeah. obviously were killed by the thousands in public to make examples of, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously they would have to have very, very stringent laws. If somebody starts dressing like a British guy, and thousands of them are being like, dude, you're a traitor. Yeah. Why are you dressing like them? It, They're it, killing it us. It makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's not unique to the many, many uh, uh, rulings, even in Syria. I once asked one of the Syrian imams, uh, and I was laughing, actually. Because someone had said wearing pants uh, was an innovation. And I was like, who wrote that fatwa? Well, and then a Syrian scholar corrected me. He said, no, that fatwa did exist at a exactly. time Thank you. when exactly. the only people wearing pants were the invading colonizers, yeah. right? So to dress like them was an innovation. But when it became a norm, yeah. then it stopped being an innovation. And that's where there's an area in Sharia where is tashabbuh bi ahl fisq or shi'aru fisq. The symbol of fisk or symbol of the enemy of Islam is prohibited uh, to take on that image. So, but also just to give people a background, uh, you know, the Diobandis, to be fair, there's Syrian Ahnaf, there's yeah. Turkish Ahnaf. Yeah. And, you know, the, I think to, we should, for some people, imagine that a Hanafi is just the Diobandi. So if he doesn't like one thing from the Diobandis, he'll throw out the whole Hanafi yeah. method. That's ridiculous. You have 
Many Indian Ahnaf who are not Diobandis. You have many Turkish and Syrians who don't even know what Diobandi is, right? So when people broaden their mind towards the Hanafi school, they should broaden up and realize that the Turkish examples... And by the way, Erdogan just announced... Uh, what's the name of the university? He said he's going to compete with Azhar. He's going to make a new Azhar where uh, Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah will have a, a a university and it's going to open in 2019, I believe, he said. Allah. So, Saad, can you look up that uh, press release? Because that's something... Istanbul is a place I can live. Yeah, I mean, Istanbul is a place you could live. We already have Cyrus already. There might already. be a nice big, my next big hub, man. Yeah, yeah, Cyrus already lives I'm there. I'm not going to Cairo. No. Why are you going? What's with Alzheimer's yeah. Cairo, bro? I, Dude, Istanbul is a great place to live. Cairo's got a special place in my heart, bro. Isn't Cairo? That's great. Well, you, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you should get your heart checked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rose, I'm leaving, bro. I'm yeah, out of here. Get a, I'm going to leave my 350Z. Get an EKG. If my hand thought that New York was dirty, bro, he would he would die as soon as he steps off the plane. Oh, man. No, but you said that Cyrus lives over there. I have known Cyrus through Twitter. And. Did he give you? He paid a visit to NBC, right? And yeah, yeah, we had him on the podcast. Right, right. Yeah. Um, would he give you guys any tips on how if somebody w- were was inclined to move to Turkey? So see, here's the thing: we need a guy to um, an American to go make the hijra there, set up a website, and give us all the instructions on on how people can get there. I mean, I'm not planning to go anywhere soon, but for others who do. They should have a, uh, you know, they should have. Uh, if anybody, uh, in fact, if anybody actually guess. wants to do it, right? They can just go through Sheikh Mokhtar program. You'll be there for a year. Sheikh? Sheikh Mokhtar. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You'll be there for a year. You'll make a lot of connections. There. Yeah. yeah, and then just work on figuring out what you want to do once yeah. you're there. I, I can't, to be, be, to be honest with you, I can't be an immigrant. It's really hard to be an immigrant, yeah. right? I mean, I don't even like to leave New Jersey. But once, mm-hmm. the, once you leave, those people are very accepting of you once they find out you're American or you have. Yeah. Here's the thing: I, I would I would have a, a very happy life, but you need a mission. You need something to do. You need you you can't. What am I going to do there? Right. So what you're saying is, uh, let me dissect. I think what you're trying to say is because I have the same problem sometimes. When you go there, all you're going to be doing is studying in their meet because there's nothing you could do past yeah, that. Yeah, what can I do? You're going to be a student for the rest people. of your life. These are my people. You're right? going to be a student for the rest of your life, and there's no proactivity. I don't know really. what I'm going to do. You, what, what type of dawah are you going to do there? You're saying. Yeah, yeah. You're also right? not going to like. Yeah, you. Even if you're living there, you're going to pick up some Turkish. Turkish is super hard. Um, to speak well, yeah. so you're gonna end up, dude. The accent, the the, the vowels that they have, take. Well, is I don't think we'll ever get it. The four of us here, Sad, Moeen, myself, uh, Alex, we grew up in New Jersey, right? There is no point in life. We want to live in such a way that when we're all white-haired old men, we want to be able to say, and the other people who live in Jersey too, right, who are doing this type of work, we want to be able to say. Man, do you guys remember what New Jersey was like when we were Allah. young? Allah and then, Allah. alhamdulillah, Allah has uh, uh, honored us, right, to be able to bring about this new thing, right, or this addition to the state or something like addition to the area or the people come here to study, right, something like that, or that there is a castle for Ahl Sunnah, right, that wasn't here before. And Allah uh, uh, honored us to be able to be the bricklayers of that castle. Mashallah, man. So yeah, if you move, well, what we are you can turn do? it into a college later too. <laughs> no, I do. That's an awesome mindset, and I think what you're bringing to the table, man, it's a whole different thing. And you're going to have a lot of success, inshallah. inshallah the inshallah. way you're doing things, uh, you know, uh, I think that you guys, uh, especially yourself and, and your team, the the seminary that you guys are a part of, and 
Uh, I, it's very inspirational, to be honest with you. Are um, you doing something like that in Chicago? I'm not. I'm Where a do loser. You teach? I'm a loser. I no, don't do anything. No, um, no, I teach at a at a Islamic school. I teach is uh, high school Islamic studies and design the curriculum there. Oh, that's and good. teach it. Yeah. Uh, um, one thing I wanted to uh, it was on my mind for the Ahnaf. Just to give people out there practical advice if you're listening, because there I know there are a lot of listeners. Australia, I uh, realize, um, had as many as I thought. A lot of people listen to your stuff, to, to our stuff, to a lot of stuff in Australia. Uh, all the listeners out there, England, wherever, Canada, the Ahnaf are the best example in upkeeping Sunnah Mu'akada prayers. And you can't... Well, it's because they have so many. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have more than 12? How many do you have? Yeah. Oh, you have more than 12? Uh... Out of all the prayers? Sunnah Mu'akkadah, confirmed. Sheikh Amr is the only one that can answer because he's the only one I think to identify, identify as Hanafi or has studied And what about you guys? I'm Maliki. Oh, Allah Akbar. And you? You hung out with the Arabs too much. Sim hung out with the Arabs too much. You're going to pick a method by the next hour. I was going to actually mention that since you brought it up. Since he brought it up. When you talk about the American Muslim community, right, and people who listen to us or maybe just general Muslims, maybe people who listen to our show might have methods identified, but that's like the vast minority of people, don't you think? But, but let me just finish that thought that to keep up the Sunnah Mu'akkadah, never leave it off because yeah. I'm telling you, you're not only just your deen, your iman, your stability. You read these self-help books and they tell you do, do this and do that. Stability comes from Allah Ta'ala. And when people do their sunnah mu'akkadah, you got a five pillars of your five prayers, but you're putting up an extra pillar, two extra pillars before uh, Fajr, a couple extra pillars before Dhuhr, after. You're solidifying that. And in the sight of Allah, you become beloved. And Allah stabilizes you for you, uh, yeah. stabilizes your life for you. Yeah. As Allah says, whoever focuses on Allah, Allah gathers his affair. Yeah. And you notice, subhanAllah, and even I'm telling you, children notice. Children, it's the, the youth, they can go to a household... And it's helter skelter, right? Uh, just for the sake of the listener, let them know what a sunnah Oh, a confirmed sunnah is a sunnah the Prophet so so never a salah the Prophet never left off in the present. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, it's, uh, so much so that they considered leaving it off habitually to be a mamatic says it's a fasik. So wouldn't tahajjud be the same way? No, it's two before dhuhr, uh, two before fajr, four before dhuhr, two after dhuhr, nothing before after asr, two after maghrib, two after isha. That's 12. Yeah. And Shaf and Witr is 3. Okay? So that's 15 uh, uh, in addition to your 17 obligatory. I'm yeah. telling you, one of the things to be an upright Muslim is that you observe Sunnah Mu'akkad. You don't skip it. Yeah. No, uh, tired or not, you can do it sitting down, by the way. Like someone prays Aisha and is like, oh, I have to do uh, two more and then three more, right? Well, do it on your knees, sitting yeah. down. But you should be embarrassed if you don't need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and skipping that, if you never skip Sunnah Mu'akkadah, you'll never skip a Farah. And, and let me add on to this, Sheikh, if, uh, if you allow me. Um, when you hear the number 15, aside from the 17, it sounds intimidating to some people, right? They should be honored. Yes. Not I tell you, you should be lucky and honored. <laughs> if you're going to have that mindset. I love this run. i got to learn this from you, man. <laughs> you're going to have that mindset going into raw, the deen. Yeah. The, Allah is inviting you to connect to the Khalq the necessary yeah. khaliq, the be- one who has created everything, and you're lazy. And what you said is, oh, the madahib, that's a minority. Well, we're not going to come to where, we're not going to aim for what people are already at. We need to lift the people up and recognize. And that's what season three, we're leading to that. So season one of our podcast was we took down and we spent all the time on 
uh, all these intellectual fads that were ridiculous. Okay, deconstructed all those, and we had a gender bell, etc. Finally, so much so, it's coming out of Moin's ears. He's like, I don't want to talk about these <laughs> subjects anymore. And I'm a, I'm a green, right? So we don't even. The second thing was we talked about the existence of God. Kalam, second season, like rationally. Third thing is now, which what we're gonna bring out in the third season, inshallah, is the rational proofs for why to believe in the Quran and Islam. Subhanallah. Right. Well, the fourth one will be okay. That's good. Well, why then do we take and we make this claim? That Islam is only found in the four methods. And the, the reason is obvious. Because where do you get your Islam from? Human beings. Yeah. The only chains of transmission that exist to the Salaf are these four. Yeah. And to be honest, I have to say the Hanbali one is in fiqh. Right? Uh, it does exist. You could, you can find Hanbali. Sim right? follows Ibn Hazm. That's <laughs> <laughs> two strikes against this guy. No, I, I, I joke. He's joking. Okay. Uh, joking. He just no, prefers some I of like his opinions about marriage. The, yeah, the seasons because that's how the the Ashari um, aqidah is actually understood, right? Yeah. Do they bring the proofs of uh, the Creator? Yeah. Of the reasons for the Creator, and then the then the reasons why Islam is the the actual creed. Yeah. And then move forward from there. Yeah, it's uh, imagine streams, right? Yeah. The the ocean, the water that you get in a river, yeah. came from the ocean, right? So the chains of transmission that come from the salaf, if a river gets cut off, well, you don't benefit mm. from it anymore, right? Mm. So uh, once a stream, for example, the great Imam Al-Oza'i, Imam Madik said he's a mujtahid Imam to be followed, right? But where are his students? They died off. Imam Al-Tabari, his books are there, you can read them. But where are the uh, Jaririyin, the madhab, he used to be a madhab. They died off. Al-Layth ibn Sa'id. They died off. So we only take our deen from human beings, from human beings, from human beings. Why? Because there's heaven and hell involved. I need to make sure that what's being said actually was said. The publisher of a book from like, uh, you know, 500 years ago, how can I trust that? I'm not going to base my religion, heaven and hell on that, right? It has to be a mutawatir, non-mutawatir meaning so many chains that there's no discussion. Right, no doubt, and that's the only place I can take my religion from. Six, I, I have a question for this. You, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. I'm sorry, I just have yeah. to the personal story before uh, he put me in my place because I was sugarcoating. <laughs> but, but <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate the rawness. The, what I, the reason why I was talking about 15 being seeming overwhelming is because this is something that's personal for me. When I was growing up, this seemed like so much. Like, oh my god, I got to pray extra prayers too. You know, when you're a teenager. But even till now, it resonates with me very well. Is that Allah subhanahu there's no guarantee that your fard prayers are accepted, even mm-hmm. if you have a loop, right? And there are times where you miss your fard prayers. And when you make them up or you do, you know, you're, you don't know if Allah is accepting it based on your khushua or whatever the case is. But on Yom Al-Qiyamah, this is where the criterion has, this is what we work for, right? To pass on Yom Al-Qiyamah, inshallah. May Allah accept from all of us. Amen. On that day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, look at, is going to be looking at our salawat. And every single one of us knows that when we have our level of concentration on our salawat is never up to par like it should be, right? It's so much so that there may have been in Ramadan two minutes where your khushu' was on, you remember those two minutes probably for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That's how nadir, how rare this is, right? So... Why am I talking about this? Is that these extra prayers are going to make up Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is then going to look at your extra prayers that you do. 
Now, if the individual doesn't have sufficient extra prayers that he made up, where is he going to extract those from, right? That's the first thing. And the way to get to Allah's rahmah is through the nawafil and the extras. Mm-hmm. That's the way to that's the way to get to Allah. That and the hukuk of ibad, right? That's just is something that's very important. Is that don't undermine something. Oh, it's just sunnah. No, it's sunnah. It's just it's 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 there as a cushioning because your salah. You don't know if your salah is going to be accepted, no matter how pious you are or unpious you are. Yeah, and yeah. as a as a layperson, I can add that just in my own experience and it, anecdotally. Prayers done after a sunnah prayer, or even the sunnah is done after the fard prayer, I have m- a much better experience in. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's kind of like the whatever way I prayed before. Like if it's if it's for subh, what people call fajr, um, you pray the turakat and then you pray, and it's almost like you you had the warm up. It's a warm up, exactly. Right? And the, the prayer that you're you praying really afterwards, exactly. there's so much more yeah. feeling. Yeah, the khushu starts from the wudu where you yeah. walk to do your wudu. Yeah. That's the pre-warm-up. And then the warm-up is your sunnah. Yeah. And then it's game time when it comes to Some of the best prayers I have ever prayed are the two after Maghrib. SubhanAllah. Yeah. And then the timing is beautiful too. Yeah. Yeah. Zuhur, think about it. You're working, you're busy. And if you go straight and you do a, 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 a naked four rakahs, nothing before, nothing after, yes. it's like you Good didn't pray. Uh, you weren't even praying for the first three rakahs. Maybe in the fourth <laughs> rakah you got something of khusur in there. So you need that first four to, to warm it up. And the reason, because you you brought up a subject and you have a topic, right? And that was that where is where are American Muslims today? What I see is that there is a minority that is improving greatly. Yeah, a minority of people who are learning the rational basis for their religion so that they could handle the attacks that come upon it, right? And they're realizing there's no such thing as a common Muslim anymore, right? Everyone's got to learn, right? Because if you think, okay, I'm safe for myself, you're wrong, right? You're not safe for yourself. You have to learn. You have to be involved in something. And that's or, not confidence. In Islam, that's arrogance. That's arrogance, That's yeah. not confidence, oh, I'm safe. No, you're not safe. No Nobody's safe. safe. Yeah. That, in Islam, that's considered. Sorry to cut you off. I just want to, you know. It's, it's considered being, having sort of a comfort with the plan of Allah. You don't know what the future's like. Secondly, you might be a parent one day or a spouse. You need answers to questions. You're going to have a teenager asking you questions. And you probably experience all the time. Man comes up, maybe he's 60 years old, comes up and says, I need to talk to you about my 17-year-old. Yep. Okay? Well, he doesn't make salah. Well, for age 7, you're supposed to pray. By 10, seriously, you're supposed to pray five times a day. And all this time, you didn't do your homework. You didn't put in effort. How is a stranger that teaches in your school or in the masjid going to help you? Right, so you're going to be a parent. You got to you got to roll up your sleeves. So I think the the question that uh, Maureen, that Maureen and Mahim put up is the status of American Muslims. I think I'm very confident, like really confident, in that minority that's paying attention, and that minority that's speaking like speaking clearly, right? Not fuzzying up the words and not afraid to say secularism, not afraid to say the word, to talk about the, their position on uh, LGBT support, right? No, supporting them, right? right? These movements, so not afraid to say those words, right? Because Allah says, And Allah says about the Quran, للناس, To clarify deen. I think it has to be clear. The air has to be cleared. We can't be having these elephants in the room that no one wants to talk about. The, the problem is that that small minority is not being elevated to the leadership 
That's the, good. That's the problem. This that is, is the where, problem. This is the problem that is happening with when capitalism has merged into our aqidah and corrupted it, where the uh, main providers of our institutions are the people who are the most wealthiest, yeah. who not necessarily have the best in- interest of Islam yeah. uh, or the, the religion. They may have um, inclinations towards, you know, create a big name for themselves and leaving a legacy or other other uh, motives, you know, that, uh, that, that that pollute their community by extension of their money. Because when they allowed money to control these boards, they did not necessarily... They don't allow the cream mm-hmm. of our community to rise. Oh, uh, there are two points. Number one, it's just a matter of time because your common person, young person, who really is like needs some juice, yeah. like I really seriously need some meat and potatoes and juice. I'm hungry for the huck. He's going to go to those uh, fake operations and he's going to feel like this is fake, right? The whole thing's fake. There's no juice here. And he's going to go and find some, you know, uh, grimy YouTube video where someone's sincere. And that's where he's going to know that now this touched my heart. Hmm. So you can, Islam is all about the hearts, right? So what comes from the heart reaches the heart. Yeah. And what is just like a facade is just a facade. And I'm not accusing anyone in particular, but I'm sure somewhere out there, there are like just superficial operations. Yeah. The, the, the new people who are coming for real deen, they can recognize it. That's number one. And when they do recognize it, well, who are those new people going to be? That's your future leader, right? Some of them will become scholars. Some of them will be dentists. Some of them will be doctors. Give it 20 years. And your listeners, for example, and your students will be active, right? They'll be active. When you water stuff down, you give no reason for people to stick it out in the long run. But when you give... When you have, and what Islam gives us, is a clear target and a goal and a and a uh, benchmark that's high. He's got to work at that for life. And so, they stick around. So one thing um, I was hoping you could clarify is that I think, I feel like there's two different things. There's one thing about strictness and being like firm upon like truth in these in the light of these kufr ideologies. Yeah. But at the same time, there's another issue of, like, we talk about madahib. And I know we may talk about this on, a, on another show today. Um, we talk about various creeds. Because a lot of times when people get zealous, and my own experience is, like, I, I got into Salafi Dawah, okay. right? Which is, like, a different – it's just not – it's the opposite of following the madhab approach. It's like yeah. – now, you're not trying to follow well, the easiest opinion. A lot of us got into that. Was, you know they had I mean? a lot of zeal, yeah. You know, so – but, like – like that's still there's still a push for that now. A lot, that, I, I find the people who like claim to be Salafis now are super like hipster modernist types. A lot of them <laughs> they're not like the old school how we were like ten unless you're Madakila or those groups. That's only in England. Those those uh, those yeah. people who are like uh, you know I don't want to say anything bad that are like almost I guess extreme. They're they're like a sect within right. that uh, you know uh, they're in England out here. They've softened up a lot. They're they they when they want to be your friend, they say atheri. Atheri means a Salafi who doesn't want to pick a fight. And I'm like, okay, alhamdulillah, you don't want to pick a fight. Call yourself hambali, right? Just say hambali. What is atheri? With all you follow, you follow the statements, man. Yeah, with, with, <laughs> can can you, with all my respect to some of my friends who say they're atheri, but with all my respect, the athar are the texts, the narrations. Can you have a? It's not a madhab. That's the source. You're, you're still interpreting. You're still making an interpretation. 
So attribute your interpretation to the one who made the interpretation. Don't universalize something subjective. That's the, that's my point. So you're saying, like, just call yourself a Hanbali. Don't say Athari. Don't say Salafi. See, why are they constantly rebranding? Because you have a problem. That's why. Yeah. Right? Well, because if... if <laughs> it's a rebrand. Well, you, don't, you don't rebrand when things are successful, right? So uh, once, it's, once the whole world caught on to what a Salafi is, they had to rebrand themselves. <laughs> I said, listen, call yourself Taymiyin. You're Taymiyin. Listen, you call yourself that. At least we all know what you are. You're being honest. You're not saying... Imagine if the Madakiya said, we are the madhab of hadith wa rasulullah. We follow the hadith of the Prophet. Okay, well, what, are, what is everyone else following? Right? <laughs> and this is why people are annoyed by groups like this. Ikhwan wal muslimin. And what are we, Ikhwan al-shayateen? Right? <laughs> what is everyone else? Why have you claimed that? Right? So the problem with those folks, with all my love for... And some of my... They're my friends. I text them all the time. Right? But I would say, please... Refrain from this term. Say, "Nahnu Hanabila Natbao Ibn Taymiyyah fil Aqidah." It's it's an it's a no. That's that that's a valid position because, by the way, if you follow Ibn Taymiyyah, you're following something unique. Yeah, you can't even say that you're attributing to Imam Ahmad. That's that. true. In defense of Ibn Taymiyyah, I'm going to argue that most of these people do not follow. Like, of course, they don't even know what he was saying. They don't know. They don't know what he's they saying. They don't right? understand <laughs> what he was saying. But if you are legit, like like say somebody, um, uh, Shaykh Yasser Qadi, right? He's a big fan of IT. Ibn Taymiyyah. Not, uh, First time I heard that, IT. Wow. Not, not information <laughs> that technology. That was pretty smooth, bro. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> so, so he's a big fan, right? And uh, he is someone who I can validly say knows what he's talking about when he yeah. says that he, he adheres to Ibn Taymiyyah's views. Mm-hmm. Because he knows what, he, what the views actually were. And, and let's take a step back. For some people listening, they may be like, oh, why all these groups? Aren't we all Muslim? Now, we can't forget that this perspective is for every new Muslim. It's like, oh, my gosh, all these names. What are you guys talking about? Well, we have to be considerate of that and tell them these terms are sort of scholastic labels to make clear what people uh, what people's positions are on certain matters that are not defined and require scholarship. Okay, so when someone makes an, an interpretation of something, that interpretation becomes called by that person's name, just like if Boyle or some whatever scientist. Uh, comes up with a theory of something, you name the theory after him, or he yeah. discovers an element. It's named after him. Likewise, in Islam, not everything is descript and given absolute detail in the Quran and Hadith. Someone must extrapolate an interpretation. So that interpretation is named after that person. And the followers of that interpretation attribute themselves to that person on that matter, right? Yeah. So yeah, we're all Muslim in one sense, but on those minor details, really, I would say, yeah. minor details, okay? Uh, some not m- less minor than others, right? Yeah. Then those followers of Abu Hanifa will call himself Ahnaf. Because on that matter, they feel that Imam Abu Hanifa, he said, what he said is correct. And and the four methods all recognize one another as correct. So yeah. so for, this, for those people who are like, wow, why are you saying all these names? So what we're saying is respect respect scholarship and respect our intellects yeah. and don't say we are the followers of al-haq we just follow the truth no mm-hmm. you follow an interpretation so please call yourselves Taymiyin from now on okay. so <laughs> in, in, in typical <laughs> Mad Mamluk Safina's fashion we have uh, digressed into a completely different subject <laughs> we'll, we'll save for later but we'll come back okay, to okay so uh, what is the topic so today? we are going to talk about like so we, we uh, we're both podcasters right yeah so 
how's it been? Like for you guys, it's interesting because I, I remember you now maybe you can like refute this claim, but mm-hmm. when I met Moeen in Philly like a couple months ago, he was saying that Safina Society is you guys actually are like Islam you do Islamic studies classes, right? Mm-hmm. And podcasting for you is like when y'all have time, or it's like third tier, fourth tier. It's not like the higher priority thing, it's right? It's one of the bases, yeah. right? For us, it's like that's all we do. Good. Yeah. Um, we don't do anything else. We might like for us, it's we're like media. Yeah. Right. But we're not the first ones either. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like there have been other pod- Muslim podcasts out there. Not, 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 Are nothing, there really nothing that got our attention? Like, yeah, there were search engines before Google, right? <laughs> but, but the the one podcast that ever got my attention, firstly, because you, your your little logo sticks out. Like on if you got your computer open, and there's a Mad Mem Luke's tweet that goes up, you see it because it's bright yellow, right? Yeah. So I gotta give you credit for whoever who chose that. Yeah, and also the name was. Flag. The yellow. Oh, is that the Mad Men Moose fan? I thought so, it was the Wu Tang colors. That's why we. No, didn't no. <laughs> <laughs> Man. We so, give it a lot of thought before we choose the logo and everything. What's the, the ancient um, Mamluk flag from Egypt? And it just said, and your logo says Mad Men Looks and has the Mamluk style mosque, right? Silhouette? Yeah. Okay, so I got to give you credit for that. And we got t shirts for you guys. Oh, good. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Good. Oh, we should have we should have gotten T-shirts. All right, Sorry. we haven't made T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can just give us free lifetime access to all your classes. No. <laughs> so you're you're you were saying yeah. So like so see I had heard it's funny. So let's talk a little about our, our story. So um, these guys I didn't I didn't know Sheikh Amr and Sim. I've known I've so Sim I've known of him because he's uh, the older brother of one of my good friends when I first moved to Chicago. I'm not a local Chicago guy. And I've known a Sheikh Amr because I slept in his parents' house like 10 years ago or something like that. It was 15 years ago. Yeah. Where are you I, from originally? Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so sad. uh That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. That's sad. sad. Yeah. That's like. You better love Chicago now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I ain't never going back to Columbus, yeah. you know. But uh, so I actually was taking Arabic class with um, Sim's wife. Yeah. And then she's like talking about this podcast, like, oh, my husband and Sheikh Amr Saeed started this podcast called Mad Mom Looks. I was like, I'm good. I listen to a podcast called Diffuse Congruence. Um, you know, that's, when, that's like fuzzy stuff, right? That, is, yeah. Is it good or is it fuzzy stuff? I mean, they have some good guests. They had Dr. Omar, they had like Imam Zaid on there, these guys. It's like that's, interview style. That's the podcast where Dr. Omar was talking about uh, a bunch of stuff one time and also about that. Uh, oh, that we're bigots the for Quran. making a yeah, statement. Yeah, that was, on, that was on that podcast. So we're bigots for making a oh, he, comment. He said that on, on that podcast? Yeah, that's, that's the, what yeah. he said. Really? It's in the last like five minutes yeah. or something. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Right. Wow. About Dr. Shetty. Bigots for. How is that bigotry? I don't even. What should stop? being bigoted and be more open-minded what term like (laughs) i have to go back and check that out because i actually recommended that podcast our first 30 minutes to some like kufar who were thinking about islam i mean it's good yeah and dr omar is smart and he's very good with 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 that kind of stuff right but like i just i just wanted to give dr shady the reference of which podcast we're talking about okay so (laughs) i i you know i listen to them like you know uh you know, and I listen to other like random stuff too. But I listen to podcasts. For Fusing for what? Diffuse congruence. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so just so, in so case, I, so, I, I so listen. The, so I was listening to their podcast. I listened to like you know, um, yeah. other like random sports podcasts, and then all of a sudden, like I meet, um, you know, Sim was trying to recruit. At the time you guys started, you y'all had pretty, you know, no one, you know, again, first of all, Muslims don't even know what podcasting is. You guys approach right. Mashiach, and they're like. Yeah, what's that? We don't know. So you were getting like local cats on. Yeah. And then um, we were trying to get, um, I think Sim was trying to get one of the local, one of the like more. You tell a story. You tell a story then. Yeah, so somebody was visiting um, locally, one of the big big names. uh, 
and uh, he was visiting a friend and I thought you know what I'm gonna go and my, my brother is usually in that crowd and he said hey why don't you go over there and invite him out and I said okay fine I went to the house and I met uh, Mahin over there and I was like hey you heard about Madam of Luke's he's like yeah I like your show blah 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 and I'm like okay that's great you know you have a great broadcasting voice did you ever consider going you, to for you yeah so okay. I was thinking you know, like man this guy has a voice and I have a, an anchor who's gone missing he's a young cat who's college and you know he's uh, uh, very busy now and I'm thinking I gotta find somebody who will, who will fit the spot and then alhamdulillah I found this guy with a big booming voice among a crowd I'm like man this guy's got that voice so well, well let's see and I told him I completely forgot about that that scholar who he went was with and he heard Mahin's voice and he's like I need this guy oh, <laughs> he's our talent scout so I I told him hey why don't you come by we'll have a barbecue later tonight and He's like, oh man, uh, I got I got to check with my wife, and I'm like, oh man, I Arabic he's, homework. He, he's one of these guys who's got to ask permission <laughs> from his wife. And I don't know if this will work out completely, but then uh, Alhamdulillah, he, it was one of these things that he just used as an excuse to think about things. But uh, he 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 came by later on that night, and he was uh, uh, just as jahil as uh, all of us. <laughs> so <laughs> Alhamdulillah, he fit in right in, right, probably a little bit more than I thought, but. Um, yeah, alhamdulillah, that, that's how it started. And then uh, Amir and myself were friends since childhood. We became more friends during uh, uh, college years. We always uh, knew each other. His, his family is very well known in Chicago. They have a very, very large family. Well, I want to say like almost 200 odd people. It's insane when their weddings are being done. Oh, you're from yeah. one of those uh, tribes, basically. Yeah. What's yeah. it called? What's My the last dad name? Had Eleven brothers and sisters. So. Mashallah. So, um, very well-known family, and uh, all of his cousins I knew. But he was somebody I just clicked with right out of college. We were just kind of exiting Jahiliya, and we were, you know, we we met a lot of mentors and and people who were guiding us through the religion. We still don't have and a method, so, so <laughs> exit is still in process. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, so. you're like on so, the so ex, you're on the exit ramp. So, right. at the heart, you're so. at the exit ramp. You need to choose a lane next. So, so for me, <laughs> I'm getting to that actually. It's um, so this guy uh, Shahami, he went to oh, Martania and he <laughs> he ended up learning. Uh, he went to you know the the Great schools of Azhar and Mauritania, okay, yeah. and um, Dioband. He was a Nadwa, right? Nadwa for a year. Well. So, mashallah, well-traveled really guy. He never likes to talk about it, but somebody else speaks Egyptian so. very good. Yeah, yeah. very well. <laughs> so, um, and I was, you know, for me, it was always a journey. I was, you know, different paths. And when I was in initially introduced to Islam, it was through Islamic movements like Hizb Tahrir and. You know, Juan, and and then so, so, so um, later on it was like, <laughs> so later later on it was a, a yeah. selfie uh, type movements, and then yeah. um, but not the kind that Mahin was in. Mahin was in these people who make the fear and okay. you know make the make argument who who actually made arguments against people who were on my strand of the one uh, the. 
the putubia yeah. and the, the, yeah. these arguments that they. Kutubism. You know, I was like, Sururi. Yeah, the other day we were doing. Like you were talking no, we were, we were doing a recording with, uh, and uh, Sim was talking about, like, you know, Sheikh Safra Hawali? Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, isn't he from the Sururia? <laughs> 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 no, and you were like, you were like, Kutubia. Yeah. And, and the Banuia, yeah. For all, like, against refutations, refutations against Hassel Banna and Sayyid Kutub. And so that that's the group he was part of. And I'm, I'm, and at that you same were time, part I'm, I'm part of the movement. Yeah, yeah. So we all kind of came together into a guy who was with uh, Azhar. And, uh, you know, uh, you, we all know Azharis. They're, yeah. they're easy to get along with. They agree all with easy you every fatwa time. <laughs> if you need a fatwa to eat like pork, yeah. go to Azhar Ishe. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Safrullah, no. no. But, but, but they're, they're very friendly sheikh, you know, who uh, you don't have a difficult time talking to. They, you all, they always agree with you. That's right. They, yeah. They're not going to give you a fatwa that you can eat pork. After you ate the pork, they'll find a way to excuse it and then <laughs> say, don't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, no, the, the greater benefit in that was that you, um, your, your uh, feces was, uh, uh, you know, it helped the ground <laughs> grow some flowers. So... <laughs> well, uh, a couple things before you continue that I have to say. The, we had mentioned some names of some other podcasters out there. Yeah. And I got to uh, sort of tell everyone that anything that sort of is smug, has that smug and semi-liberal and loose on the type of thing, to me, I have an allergy to it. So they need to excuse me. It's part of my like ma- physical makeup. I have to say something. So I may have said something bad about the diffuse congruence guys. Listen. We're all we're Muslim, inshallah. Everyone's trying to do their best. As you said, you're discovering, you're banging around. Everyone's got their moment, right? What? Banging around. Wait, who am I banging? <laughs> <laughs> he said you're like, banging around. Yeah, like we're uh, uh, like, like a pinball. pinball. <laughs> I hope my wife's not listening. No, no, no. Not that kind. Not my. You really <laughs> not <laughs> still <laughs> not out of jail if you <laughs> think about <laughs> it. I'm just kidding. But we're all of us Muslims here in America. We all went through this. No one's better than anyone. We're still. Be- uh, 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 I was gonna say banging like a pinball, but we're still oh, bouncing, doing this. bouncing, bouncing around, bouncing. bouncing around. See, I mean, I'm, I don't know the, the gutter okay. terminology I'm like some of, some other people do. But <laughs> okay, everyone knows what. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> ladhi afan. Not my corrupt mind. But uh, we're we're and hammers. we're all bouncing around, and uh, it, sometimes it comes out of me like I'm so disgusted by certain ideas that they might take offense. But I really, we're all we should actually have observe some unity. Right, and we're all Muslims trying to figure our way out, and everyone's at a different level, and people view things differently. Some people really right. like this type of. That's what the moment that they're at is that type of semi-descript Islam, where it's very open and broad. Well, maybe he's in a phase where that to him is really appealing, and and is the truth, right? So that's how he views things. So I'm, and uh, I want to make sure that all these people that we mention their names. Uh, so th- so w- the <coughs> point is. Our 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 enemy. We have enemies, right? But our enemy is not going to should not be from our the ranks of people who attribute themselves to Islam, even if they have a view that we don't like, okay, or a view that we disagree with or is disgusting to us, right? But they're not our enemy. We should be making dua for for of them, course. and we should observe why. I'm going to tell you, the Muslim who starts biting at another Muslim because of a difference of view, right? And for us, yeah, we're very confident in our position. This position has a lot of support in everything, right? But there's still Muslims out there. They're still our brothers. If we bite at them, we get reprimanded from Allah. Yeah. Yeah. And Allah humbles us yeah. and makes sure, you know, these are not your enemies, even if you have gross disagreements with them. Yeah. Be they 
the even the like uh, Salafis were aggressive to everyone, right? Them or these types of soft uh, who I just think they're fuzzy. They're oh, not descript in, in their in their matters of doctrine. They like want to have this type of fuzzy wuzzy. It's all good, roomy yeah. this and roomy that <laughs> and all that and a- academia and all that stuff. Uh, that okay to me. I don't I hate that right. Yeah. Because I like Let's see what the deen is And let's do it Right see, that, And that message of yours Is what attracted us to you Yeah, it, yeah. When we first Heard you about you Through Facebook That is what how, how I learned The religion Through the movements Yeah The movements were Particularly keen on how A An ideology Like capitalism Has effects on The people spe- Specifically The minorities of a people Because mm. they remember How Islam had an effect On the minorities of the the lands that well, Muslims had occupied, countries, yeah. Yeah. Muslims, you know, they, especially like you think when the Muslims uh, conquered Iran, that they they all, they all became Muslim right away. No, no, Islam as an ideology affected them, yeah. and they saw the beauty and the, and the justice of it, and they accepted it. But that 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 effect works both ways. You're right. It works against us too when we're the minority in yeah. non-Muslim lands, yeah. and mm-hmm. that's why our religion, you, in most cases, prohibits us. To live in non-Muslim lands, yeah. Yeah. this is and one be of the satisfied main with it, yeah, because, because desensitization, the lack of reasons, business, yeah. dawah, you know, yeah. we unfortunately did not have a choice. Our parents just brought yeah. us here, and there and is we're, we're we're not saying anything else. Sorry to cut you off, but there yeah. is wisdom. Allah's deen has now reached United States, and that's a big blessing. It is, right? but there is a cost that oh, is of course, being paid. You're right. Okay, that's so the decaying of this dunya. This is what you know. What, what Dr. Shadi's message of of staying. Uh, towards the principles, yeah. I like to talk to the 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 lib- quote unquote liberal people in our community, but I I want to talk to them in the sense that you know I want to show them why our principle nature is more important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people mistake when mistake us for when we bring in um, some liberals on our show. I'm not like sacrificing who we are. I'm not trying to ma- just you know make a temporary gains to gain li- listenership or anything. It's about reaching out to them, first learning about them, have them learn about us, see the humanity in each other, build a relationship, and then say, like, hey, listen, I have this concern about our religion being watered down in this country, yeah. and I feel like someone from y- your side is possibly contributing to this, and this here's why. And that's what attracted me to Dr. Shadi. One, one thing I realized in the beginning, I was like, all right, this guy's too raw for me, right? Because I'm, I'm kind of like a hippie, you know, I, everyone should love each other type thing. But one thing I realized is that uh, it's not that Dr. Shadi, I'm not trying to defend you, but one thing I realized, it doesn't mean that he hates you as a Muslim. I always think about it as the oldest brother. The oldest brother will reprimand you is tough love. He'll never, you know, siblings... They'll fight amongst each other, but if somebody messes with my sibling, we're going to war, dude. Mm-hmm. It's like that, right? So when Dr. Shadi, that's what I respect a lot about you, but I think sometimes people don't understand that about you, is you're not being condescending when you're reprimanding. It's out of love, right? We're always going to have all levels of Islam and Iman. Yeah. But unity of the Muslims is that no matter how many differences that we have, we still stick together, and we know that we're going to have problems. But those problems are going to be there. And, and my view of it, my my view of it was always that look at the playing field, right? Yep. It's look not a joke, man. Field. We can't be naive. Yeah. You are not the uh, biggest guy, uh, biggest player. You are such a small player, yeah. right, that a 
some aggressiveness, some uh, uh, sandpaper is required for you to survive, right? right? As a minority. Go and look at the Muslims of China. They have a lot of sandpaper, the, the Muslims of China, and that's the only way they survived a thousand plus years is by having a little bit of sand. So survival is the first thing. The second thing is advancement, right? Yeah. So what I felt, that ingredient of a little bit of sandpaper to your personality, like you uttered the word kuffar, you said something about hijrah. These things have been like taken off the table. You can't say it. Do you believe that, that in Adam Center, I went and gave a talk there, right? Uh, and afterwards, like their administrative body, they're like, their heads were rolling because I used the word kuffar, right? Yeah. And it's like, look, we're not saying that they're bad, but we, I can't have anything off limits, right? But we are saying no, like, <laughs> like in the sense that no, kafar is not actually you're, you're, that kind of connotation. That's yeah. what people misunderstand. It's when people have added their own connotation to yeah. that word. Yeah, there's there's two connotations. There's two connotations. There's the kafar of the legal, like I can't eat their meats, for example, uh, or I can't maybe cannot marry from them, yeah. for example. And there's the kafar of the Quran, which is the Dawkins, right? The end, like uh, the, the enemy <laughs> of Islam. Like uh, he's right. an avowed open enemy. Yeah, right. right. Those types. So yeah, like we uh, we're not trying to offend people saying, but that is a term in the books of fiqh. We, you can't just all right, remove this, right, remove this, yeah. all right, remove this. Well, and what's next? What dude, do you? Have? I remember a few weeks ago, I just used the word jihad, and the brothers cringed, bro. Yeah, like bro, bro, and they even have a name for it now. They call it J Boogie, you know. <laughs> See, that's that's they spent too much time in academia. That's they're academics, yeah. right? They yeah. probably spent. They too much cringe. Time in they cringe. Yeah. And I, and I think they're taught um, to cringe yes. by their liberal masters. Yeah, but it's not even them. Society's thinking for them. They're so used to society thinking for them that's, that's what it that it's is. not even their full reaction. It's society's yeah. reaction within yeah. them. Yeah, and, and I think the um, and, and I told this to Mahin, you know, a few weeks ago when we had lunch, that the the way that the Safina Society podcast has sort of been is again, it's it's really almost a secondary effort to the actual institution of knowledge that, you know, we, we try to, you know, uh, there's, there's classes and there's learning and the podcast is really meant to reinforce that learning. And so I know ours has had slightly different flavor to it. It's much more Akida based, fic based, learning based rather than, you know, uh, Shoot the yes, breeze. sir. You, you, well, yeah. not even we do shoot the breeze, but it's more it's more about actual learning and spreading a certain teaching. And uh, I know I think Mahin mentioned on on, on a past podcast it might have been Sim on one of your guys. It's like you know for you guys, it's about like views and actually getting guests on and and you know bringing out that uh, opinion. And you guys are fairly neutral. Yeah. Uh, for us, it's sort of been a little bit different. No, oh, right? we we don't no no we we don't say we're neutral. We always have a um, we're open with our guests, that especially the the liberal types. We we tell them like, hey, we're coming from a conservative background. Like, right. you're coming on to something that is not something that you might not necessarily be used to. Recently, we invited a, a couple of liberal people, and, and when we invite them on, we I, I I'm very upfront with them. I'm like, look, you're this is the type of show you're coming on. I don't know if you heard of us, but alhamdulillah, usually that they know what they're kind of getting into. But my perspective is that. Like I want to break that echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want just I, I don't I just don't I don't need the uh, already people like minded like no, us echoing said, everything what yeah, we say. We, yeah. Well, let's just say we have a hundred listeners. I don't need just that hundred listeners is nodding their heads. I want to reach out to other people's. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that's one thing that people miss. Mis, they, 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 there's a misconception. They think that 
just because we're bringing on liberals that we're liberals. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's I dude, plain and simple. I like to talk to everybody. Right. I don't agree with them, but I want to know what makes them tick. And and I'm I'm uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to ramble a little bit, but people think and they have this weird association that if you have talked to somebody with a certain idea, then you're automatically like them. You know, no, I just want to know what makes them tick. I want to know what room we have to, 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 to have, you know, uh, a good discussion and change some mindsets. You know what I'm saying? But also, but, like, we, we're we convinced in our ideas. Like, there's no, like, shaking us mm-hmm. in what we believe in. We, we believe in our uh, set of principles that maybe maybe we may not be able to do a good job as in explaining as uh, someone like Dr. Shadi would. So sometimes... We uh, we may not be as combative on certain issues when we have that type of guest, but guaranteed in the next two or three episodes we'll have someone like Dr. Shadian who will definitely drive home that point that was kind of missing from that episode. So there's yeah. like storylines that are kind of opening as these episodes happen, and then they're later on addressed through different guests and stuff. Right, right, right. When I meant uh, neutral, I didn't yeah. mean you know neutral in the sense like gender neutral. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, I, I think he's trying to be serious. See, the problem is you guys invited a bunch of clowns, so <laughs> no, we're gonna stop, we're gonna have a circus here. <laughs> no, we, we 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 clown around a lot. Um, Good, uh, but what I was gonna say is, you know, from the perspective of you guys have a lot more guests on. Uh, it's much more of an open discussion. Ours has sort of been more. I, the way I see it is, your guys is more like a forum, and ours is a little. It is. Bit it's more, more of a discussion forum. I think it's a great place to know what's out there. Absolutely, yeah. and that's that's where, like, I mean, uh, the the first topic that we had, you know, it's it's kind of around that idea is where you know, ha- since you guys have met so many different people, you know, doing podcasting. Uh, I, I wanted to ask your guys about the viewpoint of the Muslim community that you've had meeting all these people because for us the way we are is sort of like it's like a bomb shelter right <laughs> it's like we we're like this for us it sort of is almost I wouldn't say an safe echo space. chamber it's a safe <laughs> third no, space let's not it's call it <laughs> let's not call it a safe space but you know uh, but it it Without using the word, it kind of is, right? It's a, it's like this is what we consider the hawk of the truth, and it's like if you like that, it's very raw, and if you don't want to listen to us, you're more than welcome not to listen to us, but we, fa- we found a lot of That's our right, listeners yeah. come our, back our, our, for our, that very reason. Our basic thing, right, it's like we have these conversations, and then you throw a mic behind it. We're having exactly literally the same <laughs> conversation and then letting people listen yeah. in who might not be around, right? That's, That's, That's basically it. Like this is just – let me do- let's document these conversations that yeah. we have all the time, and then uh, pu- just put them on the internet, and maybe some people will benefit. I mean, as far as Moin's question goes, in regards to how or what the state of the Muslim community is in terms of after meeting all these different personalities, we don't realize what a tsunami is right ahead of us. It's incredible how, especially us practicing Muslims, the minority of the minority who can't figure out a way to work with each other and realize like hey our communities our families are being washed away they're like completely i think it's a lot more serious than people think they're completely being integrated into uh modern american society where they're forget about their prayers they're they're (laughs) losing their religion they don't even know the basic tenets of faith and you're getting you're gleaning this from your uh what your guests are saying oh yeah yeah absolutely listen i hate to, to be repetitive but i will 
all you have to do is look at the 100 it's a 100 year history of the Jews in America yeah. and you'll see exactly the the, yeah. the same roadmap 100% and by the way anybody that studied that um, will will say that the big thing that happened was that the men gave up their their identity first yeah. right because they had to go out and work <coughs> mm-hmm. and you know they had to stop being you know uh, Shmuel or uh, Solomon or whatever yeah. and they had to just try to get integrate a little bit so they could get jobs and they could yeah. fit in and then once the men gave up their Jewish identity you know no more side curls no more because the first Jew, there was no such thing as a non-orthodox Jew yeah you that wasn't even a term if you were Jewish you were orthodox yeah. that's all there was they cut their beards they started dressing different Changing and then names. Within just a, a generation or half a generation, the women started to follow in, and then the yeah. kids had nobody to lead them by example. Yeah. And now there's just a small pockets of them yeah. left. So, and this is exactly what. So my my thing is that we as practicing Muslims, uh, who are quote unquote conservative, even though you know that we don't like that term, but um, we have to align ourselves in the sense that Islam as an ideology is going to be the counter to capitalism that it is the answer to the modern problem it has a complete set of solutions that we haven't yet explored but it has the problems that it addresses the problems that modernity is facing are you some kind of communist man? <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you a democratic See, this socialist is, this, is, this is the this is the you know the the, the stuff i learned nah. from the movements okay now i've had my disagreements with the movements but i don't throw the baby out with the bath water like some people do I, I recognize the problems that they've had. I've had uh, experiences with the Salafis, with the Sufis, but I don't throw everything out that I learned Tanzim? from them. Did you? Yeah, Tanzim, Tanzim. too. Uh, Tanzim, I had friends who were part of Tanzim. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, they ended up uh, being absorbed by some of the major Muslim organizations and kind of lost their identity in Chicago, well, the but they died, were much right? more stronger. Sheikh yeah. Yeah. So See, that, that's another problem when you have... A personality who is behind the movement as well. You can't just have a, a personality-based movement. You have to have people who are carrying those ideas yeah. throughout the movement. They all should be Without able to too much importance on the personality himself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think that it's really good to have different perspectives. Allah Taala in His Khalq, you look at how you know, various the creation is. I mean, animals of all different types, from like little uh, fluorescent green frogs. You know, to bears, right? The creation is so vast. And so every perspective has to be respected, which goes back to my point on uh, the, you know, the other podcasters and uh, that, uh, you know, I pray for them. Allah give them tawfiq. I'm not my <laughs> rivals or enemies. I just have my own approach to doing things. And I hope they get they're successful, I'm sure. Uh, and you guys have a view uh, or a place where, you know, a type of Sunni Muslim could go and listen and get all these views of what's out there. Now, for me, I'm just saying, person. I'm not saying right or wrong. For me personally, to listen uh, to other types of views to me is like kryptonite, because if I've already decided what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. Like I've give it thought, and get a lot of thought, and I, and I bounced around. Okay, bounced around. Yeah. All these views, just like you did yeah. in college. I was like born like uh, with a set of views, right? Right. I bounced around, and but once I came upon something, now that thing to me becomes a target. Yeah. And you need to follow that. To me, in my in my world, I've already th- thought about it. Now everyone needs to go there. We, yeah. we need to go there. If I look left and right, that's like kryptonite to me. It's like I'm going to be – my focus is going to be off. My energy is going to be undone. Yeah. So that's why to me, we, everything's got to be focused. Repeat the same message. 
focus, target, repeat the same message, right? And over the years, it gathers a ball, right? It's like a snowball. Over the years, it's going to gather more and more uh, momentum, and it's going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. So that's uh, a good difference, right? Yeah. It's a good difference for because you guys are like a platform where you can hear the Sunni response as well. Like yeah. you're going to offer what the Sunni listener would be like thinking, and you're going to ask that question. So it's not going to be a completely just a platform for everyone to tout their horn. Yeah. But so in that respect, and from the way that, uh, you know, just I guess it's everyone's nature so, is that this is what it is and this is where we're going everyone's coming with us right and you know in 20 years we'll see what happens what we've identified is at least among us and I'll speak about myself more than um, Mahin and Sheikh Amir but for me it was identifying that my baseline my baseline emotions are actually more in line with the liberal American or the liberal perspective my baseline is wanting to do what they uh, what they're aspiring for you know what do you want you know uh, assimilation and everyone you know holding hands and kumbaya under a rainbow that's like it sound it makes sense to your emotions but for me it was a process of integrating the principles yeah. to uh, my to my mind to allow my mind to govern my emotions mm. and this That's is what really I, important. This is what Very I feel like is missing yeah. in our young children, Great our, point. Yeah. and this is what I'm trying to drive home with my with my daughters, who are you know very passionate towards the injustices that are happening around them. Like your injustice is um, curtailed by what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is defining it as injustice. Justice. It's not defi- not by what society is saying. It's it's injustice. amazing that how these movements and we call them uh, oham whims like communism and socialism is based on anger and envy, right? against the the controllers of uh, the um, uh, manufacturing, uh, those who have the powers of manufacturing and production, who control production of goods. The new, this new movement is more on a type of sympathy turned anger on a claim of injustice. And there, some of them, of course, substantial, I mean, some not. To right? the point that we're fighting to be victims. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, People who aren't even true victims of yeah. injustice are fighting for that mantle of yeah, being the most... Be victim. Yeah. And here's the thing. I want to, uh, 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 without discounting the true victims and real victims, of course, in every group there's truth. In Marxism, there's some truth. Right. Now, uh, before, I want to actually interview you a little, give you, do a little interviewing for you, uh, of you, on how your podcast goes. But... Uh, before that, comment on youth. Have you noticed that youth today, they're not like youth of yesterday. The youth today are on issues, right? Everything is issues. Every, that's how much injustice is in the world, imbalance, that the youth are coming up. And this is what they're, uh, they're thinking. I, to me, we, when we grew up, youth was like nice. It was like relaxing, right? You had fun. You were chasing after, you know, neat things. Youth today are drowned in issues, oppression, right, injustice. Thinking to myself, like, this must be like a fad of some sort because either that or really the world is really that messed up and young people have to take on the mantle of doing justice. But to me, um, it's sort of sad what's happening to youth because they're all into all these issues. You know, and people like you know? Chomsky commented about this in the yeah. past. They said that, you know, that the system... The capitalist system is perfectly fine with what they're arguing about. 
the, the you know the, the the claims of injustice and things like that. They're playing within the rules yeah. that capitalism has allowed for them. And by the way, when I say capitalism, I'm not arguing against a free market economy. That's not don't conflate the two. The, capitalism is a set of ideologies. Or one with like, if you want to see their shahada, it's really greed is good. Think about myself first, and then I'll think about everything else. Yeah. It's so that that's their shahada. That's what I'm talking about initially, but. There's so a, it's more like there's like so many Randian objectivism. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not, I'm not sometimes some people, you know, will, will try to make you make it seem like you're attacking the free market economy, which is Islam. Yeah. Islam agrees with the free market economy. That's not this is not what we're talking about. But what Chomsky was talking about was that the system, the, the Western states that what they set up, they, they're completely fine with all the, the social justice warriors and. And, you know, all the people who go take up Occupy Wall Street, they're not calling for the overthrow of this creed of where yeah. greed is good. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not against that. So they'll be fine. Like, go ahead, you know, do all the protesting you want. That's great. We'll give you money. We'll create spaces for you. Mm. So th- it's important to keep in mind that even the greatest thinkers of our societies now. They've already they calculated oh, it's yeah. not going to be a threat to the main source, which is nafs. And you ask about youth, if I can chime in. Um, one of the reasons why I, I, I love working uh, with uh, youth is not only does it remind me of myself and I could teach them, you know, from the mistakes that I made. Um, and I'm going to link this back to as we talked about capitalism and talking about it as an aqidah, right? Our aqidah is la ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah. The aqidah of capitalism is, in the philosophy behind it, is that there's scarcity all mm. everything's about to go and we can hoard because the ends justify the means because there's scarce even though there's no scarcity but it's scarce and that's how our aqidah how our lens of how we look at the world is that everything is scarce mm. so what do we do we have to consume as much as we can and gather even if it's exploiting innocent mm. people no matter how many lives are lost in it we will get those resources because that's, that's our aqidah that leads to the concept of overpopulation Overpopulation, but yeah. now, now the children of this generation that are growing up in this mindset, right? That's what I'm bringing that bringing us back to because it's it. That's how deep I think the problem is a lot bit, bigger than I think many people assume it is. Is that the aqidah of capitalism has overridden their aqidah of Islam? Mm. They don't know it though. Anasu ala dini mulukihim, like the Arabs used to say, right? Yeah. People are in the religion of their surroundings. We're a product of our environment, right? So now this overriding occurs. They feel sometimes that they're Muslim culturally, but there's an overwhelming uh, uh, environment around them that's chasing after them. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean, and I'll try to summarize this to the best of my ability in a minute, inshallah, is that we have children now in this society that don't have anything to look up to. Mm-hmm. When they go to the Muslim world, what happens? Oh, he's from America. When I go to India, oh, you're American. This is very true. So their identity now is that, hey, I'm popular and I'm powerful because I'm American, even if I go to my original indigenous country where I'm ethnically from. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even those people. It's disgusting. I don't want to live in India. Look how disgusting these people are. When I was traveling, even when I was in Mauritania, when I went to Egypt, I used to go like a few times a month and pick up people that are coming from the States or the UK and get them in their apartment, get them situated. The first night that they're there, they'll see things like, dude, America's not like this. Oh, man, in America, we have... Yeah, and I'd be, like, I'd be like, dude, you're not in America. That's why you came here. Mm-hmm. 
But there's that mindset that doesn't leave. I remember Hamza Yusuf back in the day used to talk about even the sizing of stuff that we have here in the United States is meant as a symbol. You go to like get like deodorant or like toothpaste and like water, even like in Japan, boxes of juice are like super tiny. But like over here, you have like Arizona that are ginormous. And my dad used to, I remember when that first came out, it's still 99 cents. My dad used to freak out when we saw this, like, what are you drinking? Yeah. You know? The reason I'm mentioning all this is it builds a certain type of pompousness and arrogance. So when you go anywhere Exceptionalism. else. Exceptionalism. Exactly. You go anywhere else, you naturally, with your fitra, feel greater than everybody else. Yeah. Now, here we come you know, to uh, an Islamic school. The children that I deal with, it is so difficult to get them just to the point of thinking properly. Just by you know, sifting through all the debris, it's a very, very difficult thing. So you ask, what about the youth? This is what I feel is the dilemma of the youth that are between the age of 13 and 18, right? They don't have anything to look forward to. Anything that happens to do with Islam is the most organized thing that they've ever dealt with. Mm-hmm. When they hear their parents talk about Islam or Muslims, oh, Muslims were always late. Oh, Muslims, we do this. Oh, Muslim. So they feel that there's a certain type of emotion that may arise. They can link something to that's Islam, negative. but everything else has nothing to do with Islam with them. And that's partially our fault of how we raise our children. We, we, we indoctrinate and we brainwash them and letting them know that Muslims are never going to do anything. Look at this Muslim country. Look at this. They're horrible people. They're this. We don't even have any Islamic entity in this world that someone could be proud of. That's but they're proud of America. Turkey's the closest. Turkey's the closest. So how are we ever going to overcome this? That's why I'm saying. I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm saying I think this problem is always going to be there. It's totally well, true. It's supposed to be there. That's Muslims totally are not in their natural habitat. When we've left our natural habitat... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we've forgotten death and we forgot how to implement Allah's deen we're never going to come back to our natural habitat yeah. Yeah, I mean, so totally we have agree. to know that this is there I'm, you know and, and totally yeah. agree yeah. I mean in, in addition to that right um, I think it's a it's a postmodern reality that yeah. we live in this sort of like dichotomy right that there is this religion on one hand and then there is uh, your secular life on the other hand right and I think this is – it's not just a American thing. I don't think it's a Muslim thing. I think this is really like a postmodern reality, right, yeah. that everybody just has this, this this dual lifestyle, right, where your internal beliefs are what you have and the, par- the paradigm that we almost live in is not through the lens of, you know, God and, and the Rasul <laughs> Even for like – let's say like uh, – Catholics, right? Let's say like 200 years ago, right? The paradigm of looking at the world, their epistemology was based on the idea of God and Jesus Christ and, you know, the church and everything about it. You know, over time, I think what has happened is there has been this sort of split between what your beliefs are and, and what every, but what the world says that, you know, this is what's correct. You know? Moin, you hit the nail on the head. Why isn't, why aren't our communities in the West experiencing the same type of tribulations that the Prophet and experienced during in Mecca with his Sahaba. Because in my view is because they were challenging every aspect of the society. The Quraysh really understood what he was what he Rasulullah was actually doing was overthrowing the establishment and implementing justice and mercy as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defined it to be. And what until and unless our leaders over here are delivering just this spiritual aspect of our religion, you're not really challenging anybody. This is why they haven't come down on us in, in any serious level. Though those who did, they were, 
go, gone off on the violent path, and you know they they made the, uh, in my view, er erroneous de uh, decisions where you know they felt like they had to use violence in, in terms of pushing this view, but I feel like you know right now our our message is with the mind, and we can we can challenge the status quo with our tongues, and we can. Um, we should be able to provide a complete picture of what the religion is. I, I think the problem starts, you know, fairly deep, right? Um, like the way we even look at the world from a, you know, the way we look at the world, let's say like materially, right? Many, many years ago, like hundreds of years ago, I, I would say even before like Protestantism, period before the French Revolution, the world was looked at through the lens of God, right? Yeah. Now it's not, right? So even as Muslims, when you, you know, when you learn like Aqidah, right? So say, say like basic Aqidah 101, uh, a person gets a headache, right? Uh, they take a pill, right? Aqidah 101 says that, you know, the, the pill is not what, you know, cures you of the headache, right? It's Allah Azawajal that cures you of the headache, right? But you take the pill because it's the sunnah of Allah Azawajal, right? Um, but the problem is we living today, you know, it's in our nature to just think it's like, no, 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 no. it's the pill mm. that's actually solving it. You know, yeah, you make dua. That's good. You know, everybody should make dua. But as a matter of fact, I, you know, I still have to take the medicine. What are you? What are you crazy? Like, I still yeah. have to take the medicine. Right. So it's this like dichotomy of like there is like the material the world, world and then there's like <sighs> your beliefs that you keep inside it. They, they, they don't coincide. Let right? me uh, ask you a question. Let me ask a question. And the question is. Uh, when you say the world is not viewed through, let's say, for, as Muslims, right, the lens of uh, Allah as the creator and we as his creation, why is that the case? That's the case because the military that won, the guy who won the war, right, doesn't believe that. And the guy who won the war, right, is the one who keeps repeating his version of reality until it seeps into the hearts and minds of the people. His version of reality has no objective difference, right, or power to his claim, except that his group won the wars. And what I'm talking about in general, Europe conquered, right, the world, right? And they choose to view the world like this, right? So this is another myth that those types of people, let's say America, right, or these countries, have control over the world. This is another myth. America can't control what's going on in Detroit, right? They can't control a lot of the, the streets of uh, New Haven, right? So this is a myth that is in a lot of people's minds, yes, right? Awesome when they carry an American-made iPod, American-based search engine, they start to imagine that there's hegemonic – there's one power that you can't grasp, get out of, and it gets in your mind, and you start playing the role – of the one who's the lamb that's about to be slaughtered. But if you think about it, it all begins in the mind. Absolutely. And it all begins by, and the next step is to start saying it. And the next step is to start to keep saying it. That really, if at any time, things could change real fast, way faster than you can imagine. Did you see how fast the Arab Spring happened? America really didn't want it to happen. Yeah. 11 days, yeah. zero weapons, right? right. Egypt. Eleven days zero. Now, doesn't I'm not. I didn't support it. 
because I thought, like like you said, yeah. it fit into the capital thing of greed. But they still couldn't support it. Yeah. That stop it. Israel couldn't stop it. Yeah. Right. The Muslim mind, the youth, everyone has to get this th- ment- mentality, uh, get this image, and break it. It's a sunam. It's an idol that we live in a world where there's two big hands on it. Right. Yeah. One with America. One with Israel. Right. Yeah. Uh, on them, and they're in complete control. They are not in control. Not. Right. And we just we don't talk. We don't our 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 dog is not barking. And if it did, look, there how many times they tried to knock down Erdogan? Yeah. Right? <laughs> and by the way, if he gets knocked down, someone else will come. Yeah. Maybe not in Turkey, so, but wherever else. Yeah. But he's a man who took a couple steps and wait a second, no one pushed me back. Yeah. Right. And he's taking more steps. They tried with that ridiculous coup of theirs that failed. Yeah. American backed uh, Gulen supported coup failed, right? Why? Because the people didn't want it, right? And the, and Erdogan, he's his te- the whole teaching. He's part of a group. Yeah. So this is a myth, and we have Munafiks and Cordolos running the world right now. <laughs> the Muslim world is. You, you see this guy Cordolo? Yeah. And he's like kept at the edge, right? What happens if he was to rule the Kai tribe? Are you talking about the show? Yeah. Okay. So there. I mean, I didn't so anybody who's not. I mean, I've seen a couple episodes show, of it, right? But uh, Doc Shelley's referring to the show Resurrection at Tool. Yeah. So if you've seen it on Netflix. Th- if you haven't, it's a great example of what a Munafik is. Yeah. He symbolizes because the whole thing is symbolism, right? Yeah. He symbolizes the Munafik. Exactly. These guys rule today. They rule the, the that symbol, that archetypal symbol. That his vision is not in line with your vision, but he'll talk the good talk. Right, as so as not to get expelled, yeah. and then as soon as he get a chance, he'll disrupt your vision. I can guarantee you, at the top levels of government of these nations, because our vision, and we should repeat this, is to tear down all these borders. Who has convinced the Moroccan and an Algerian that they're two different nations? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Look, Morocco and Algeria. Why are you two different nations? Right. Let's not even just say all. Oh, let's just say two nations at a time. Yeah. Syria and Lebanon. Why are you two different nations? Yeah. Misr Sudan. Yeah, Misr Sudan, Alge- uh, Lebanon and Tunisia. Okay. Now, y- can you imagine that I said this one time to a, a, a West a Moroccan guy? I think it was Algerian and Moroccan. And he said, "But brother, think practically. How would you have Africa Cup?" What? <laughs> like, are you? That's are you? What do you? Uh, what are you thinking? This is, right? this is the colonizing. By the way, the, the answer to why we have those countries is very simple. The Westerners made they deals. Told us. They made deals with people there, and we're like, we'll make you your own little spot here, yeah, and exactly. you can be the king of Jordan, and you'll yeah. be the king of this. And exactly. this is what I mean by talking about capitalism. They oh. appeal to the self-interest of man. Yeah. They appeal to of your interests of the nafs, yeah. and this is the, our, when people are wondering why Muslim countries don't solve their own problems, and you know why are yeah. genocides of Burma and uh, East Turkestan and uh, Syria are happening? They're appealing to the leaders of the countries. Uh, capitalism appeals to their self-interest, and they're like, "Wait, why do I need to stick my neck out when it doesn't need to get involved?" Yeah. So they'll wait for their master. To say, okay, well, here's your next move. You, you can make your next move, and then they'll they'll make a move. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Alex just mentioned in the background, that nation states are blameworthy in innovations. I mean, here's one thing that a lot of people forget, right? That the world wasn't in the amount of peace that it's in now. Believe it or not. 
right? Uh, so, and the historians call this like the long peace, right? Because we haven't actually had mm-hmm. a great war um, since, you know, World War II, really. We're like actual countries. We're fighting with other countries. It's like, yeah, we're not tech. The way we say peace, we don't mean like peace. We mean globally, right? And especially America. I mean, people who are living inside America, we sort of, uh, this generation is, you know, the past few generations have been privileged to be in this like long peace where America is sort of at the top of the, you know, chain here. Before World War One, nobody cared what America had to say about anything, <laughs> right? Uh, and if you live then, nobody cared, right? It's like right now we look at like China or like let's say we look at a smaller country like um, – uh, let's say from a political power perspective, a smaller country like Indonesia, Americans don't care what Indonesians have to say. I mean, that's how the world viewed America, you know, 200 years ago. Nobody cared what Americans had to say. And American Muslims, I think, are almost in this position too, right? Which is like, there's this sort of American Islam. It's like, you know, it's sort of the better version of Islam. We've on, we've like mixed with people. We don't have all these problems that the rest of the world have. Egyptians are like this. Indians are like this. The Diobandis are like this. The Brailvis are like this. Like, I mean, you can only say all these things because you're privileged to live in a place we, like we've this, over, right? We've overcome the Western-injected homophobia that never used to yeah. exist. <laughs> First of all, the, there's there's this perpetual idea of America being the, the superhero of the world that uh, it, it, you know it was the one that saved the world from the Nazis first of all That's America Amer- America came <laughs> yeah. very late into the war Did you think they right. were you know they were I- being isolationist no no they were waiting for the rest of the world to blow themselves up yeah. and then they will come right when they absolutely need us when they're on their knees and they're going to be in a lot of debt after the war is over they made a calculated move it's this is not something about if you know, they could have smashed Germany very well earlier on in the war, but they waited and waited. Okay, like okay, when the dust settles, we'll be the ones who will be the strongest economic power. Let them all use their resources in defeating Germany, but we'll come up later. And what happened after World War Two? All these countries came to America yeah. with hands open. Like, okay, and look, well, that, that's the sunnah of life, and that's the sunnah of the creation. Countries come up and come down, and now you see China edging in, right? And you see just the feeling in America is really negative. It's just there's no unity on anything. So it's over. The story's now in the sunset. It's riding on the success of the past. So it'll still be a player in the world. But for us, I believe in the the saying, you know, you know build it, uh, and they will come, yeah. right? So you just got to know wh- where do we need to be? And I'm only one guy, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're. We're only a couple guys. None of us are better than anyone else. But we know for sure what the future's got to look like, and yeah. it's got to look like a world where the Muslims start to wake up and start to remove these barriers and realize that we have to take Islam and put it back as our number one, uh, n- number one goal and target. And you'd have to do a lot of dawah to the Muslims themselves, the Arabs in particular. That's the main they, need the to, they need to be given dawah, uh, right? And that's where, like, I think it's the perfect segue into this idea of the Rudi knowledge, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's the next thing we sort of had on the on the list here is we, we kind of have spoken about the American Muslim community. We've spoken about, you know, some of the things we've learned from podcasting. And the next thing I'd, I'd like to talk about is, you know, this idea of what is necessary mm-hmm. knowledge to know as a Muslim because, as, you know, uh, Imran mentioned – there, we have like a tidal wave coming where the important facets of the deen are just being forgotten completely, right? 
and what is actually known by necessity, right? And what is the the absolutely obligatory knowledge you have to know is strangely forgotten about, right? Now, so if if you know Sheikh Amir, Dr. Shadi, if you guys could speak about that, mm-hmm. um, and then we can sort of segue that into the discussion. Okay, so I'll uh, begin with that, but uh, just something crossed my mind that uh, that I want you to just maybe put it in your back burner and maybe you could fit it in somehow. It's marriage season, right? Everyone's getting married. You talk about American Muslims and whatnot. It's now, what are we, July 20? You're going off to a wedding. I just went to a wedding yesterday. Uh, you know, a friend of mine is having a wedding today. It's marriage season. Maybe you could, we can throw in, into our um, list of topics, at least at some point, touch upon the issue of American ma- marriages. Marriage, how to get married, weddings, how to be married, what to do with kids, right? So maybe if you could stick that in somewhere. I think that, can, that can be after lunch. I think that will yeah. be a good one. So just step up that. Now, and on your subject of daruri knowledge. Now, when we talk about Islam, we talk about anything. When you talk about any idea, any set of ideas or anything, there are. it's defined. It's a term that defines a set of principles, a set of ideas okay, that are unique to it. And any set of ideas has to have a document that outlines it a chief document that outlines it and what that chief document repeats over and over and over and over and pops out at you is the essence of what that ideology or doctrine or religion or whatever it is is okay so communism you can't or vegetarianism for example you cannot have a vegetarian steakhouse right because vegetarianism well there's no chief book on what vegetarianism but we all know that it is that you're not eating meat okay so you cannot have someone who eats meat and is a vegetarian. Why? Because there is a core idea that defines vegetarianism. The same thing is with Islam. Now, what are those core ideas? That's the next question. So we all agree now that every name, everything has to have a set of ideas that cannot be contradicted. If you contradict it, you're not that thing. You're not a, there's no free market communist, right? right. So well known. So uh, likewise, in Islam... We do, we're quite lucky, fortunate that there is a set of documents that inform us what Islam is, the Quran and the Hadith. So what pops out from these documents over and over and over and cannot be disputed? We call that in Arabic, right? which means it's repeated over and over. It's not a one-off comment. Okay? You don't make a doctrine on a one-off comment. It's a repeated over and over and over, so much so that no two people can disagree that that was said. Yeah. Like, no two people disagree in America that Trump wants to build a wall. It's mutawatir. He can't ever walk that back, right? <laughs> okay. So, secondly, which means the words that were used are crystal clear. Okay, We all know what a wall is, right? No one's going to say it's an abstract wall. It's a metaphoric wall, right? Right. Likewise, I'm just using that example because that's what on people's minds, right? Of course. Everyone Even knows. It. Everyone knows about that, right? So, uh, in the Quran, there are certain doctrines that jump out at you. They repeat over and over. In the Hadith, there are certain doctrines that are repeated. That's mutawatir, and it's transmitted to us by so many chains that's impossible to deny. Secondly, you look at what those ver- verses are, Hadiths are. The words are crystal clear. No discussion, right? That's the list of those things, okay, is what defines a Muslim. 
Now a Muslim can consist of someone doing it correctly, someone doing it wrong. Just because you're a Muslim, you've only gone halfway. You have to do it right. So I'm a vegetarian now. And imagine I say, listen, I'm a vegan. I'm a vegetarian. I'm one of you guys now. That's two different things, by the way. Yeah, it's two different things. Vegetarian. Okay, let's say let's stick to the vegetarians, right? Let's say I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows two different things. I'm just saying like that group of people. You know the Whole Foods type? Yeah, the Whole okay. Foods type. <laughs> <laughs> that group of people. Okay. <laughs> Those types. But all I'm eating is, let's say vegetarian. All I'm eating is chips, ice cream. I'm a Republican, right? Um, you know, I'm racist. Wait a second. <laughs> um, I'm eating chips and junk all day, but I just don't eat meat. But I eat everything else. But wait a second. You're not doing it right. You're not really one of us, right? Can you, can you imagine like a vegan Trump supporter and goes to Whole Foods? He'd be kicked out, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, you technically you entered the realm of being a vegetarian or a vegan, but by being a racist Trump supporter and you don't care about your weight and you don't exercise – you're not really doing it right, right or wrong, because there are secondary matters that are part of this meaning. Secondary matters are those which are qat'iyad-dalala, but not mutawatiradiwaya. And when you take that, that's what forms what we call Ahl-Sunnah wa Jama'ah. It's not what we call it. Ibn Abbas said it. He's the first person to say Ahl-Sunnah wa Jama'ah. Because those Sahaba had to define, okay, there are Muslims. Yeah, they're Muslims. Khawarij are Muslims. But are they doing it right? How do we define doing it right? Is it all up to interpretation? No. There are certain things that are qat'i ad-dalala, which means qat'i is absolute or definitive, not questioned in terms of its terminology, its meaning. For example, Prophet ﷺ did Isra' and Mi'raj physically with his body, not in a dream. Is it mutawatir? No, you don't see the so many hadiths. There, but, but when you do have a hadith on it, it's very crystal clear that he did mi'raj to the heavens with his body, not in a dream, when you research it. Okay? So that's something that forms the next phase of doing it right, which we call Sunni, or Ahl-Sunni, or Jama'a Sunni for short. Right? And those who are going against those, very crystal clear, the text is right there. If you look at it, you can't interpret yeah. it any other way. Yeah, you can't say that Muhammad is not the last prophet. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. You can't say Allah, that's there's more than one Allah. Yeah. Right? You look at it, and it is what it is, right? Yeah. There's no, it's not open to interpretation. Did so, Allah mean by one Allah something else? No. When He says one Allah, it's one Allah. Yeah. So that's even at the level of Islam. And then at the level of Sunnah are those things that you'll find them in Tahawi, for example. For example, that the, we, we said the Isra al Maraj. Or for example, that the Khalifas after the Prophet were Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali, and the Muslim accepted that. Sayyidina Ali accepted it. Okay? His tongue never uttered anything else. Yeah. Right, and he wasn't a munafiq. So when he uttered it, support with his tongue, he meant it with his heart. Yeah. Otherwise, you accuse him of nifaq or weakness. Pick one. Yeah. Because the his, the record tells us he support he gave his hand to Abu Bakr and he lived under Abu Bakr and he respected Abu Bakr and he named his son uh son Omar. He named two sons Omar. So either he's munaf. Stuff I don't need to say. It. It's it's, it's nifaq. Yeah. It's hypocrisy or it's weakness. One or the other. Either he was. Either the person who does that is a snake and he's saying something with his mouth that he means the opposite with his tongue. We call that a snake. Or he's weak. And Sayyidina Ali is impossible for him to be either one. 
he's not a snake and he's not weak. So therefore, he honored Omar ibn Khattab, he respected his rule, he supported him, and anyone who says opposite that is what we call someone not doing it right, also known in religion as a heretic. <laughs> so, okay. so, so like, I have a, okay, right. I have a question. If you're not doing it right based on the – and it's not based yeah. on what we want. It's based on what's in the text. Yeah. So you went against these this text. So right? – I mean, go, go ahead. I I a, so I, just a clarification. Yeah. So I had a, a non-Muslim colleague asking me, like, what's the difference between the Sunnis and Shias? And how do you as a Sunni know you're right? I was like, well, here's – think about it this way, right? If we assume because – that the Shia are right, then we assume that the companions were all corrupt. And then if we assume that, or the majority of them, then how do we get our even our religion from that? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, they all kept it secret. Yeah. Then how did you know? But not right? only that, the point that he was driving <laughs> was actually pretty profound. Yeah. If Ali had Isma and he doesn't make mistakes, Isma means he's, he's, he doesn't make any mistakes. So from Masum, innocent, doesn't make any mistakes. Like prophets have Isma. Yeah. Did he make a wrong decision? And was he? Did he err in his decision, right? Of allowing Abu Bakr and Omar, you know, um, and that's something that's very, very important, right? Is that uh, you have to understand who, even in our aqidah, who is allowed to have asma, right? That's a part of aqidah and aqidah tahawiyah, and many studies of aqidah. Like, what are the characteristics of a prophet, right? I know we can get into that later, but the problem is when you give those characteristics to somebody else. Also, that becomes very problematic. So I have a question around. Um, what Dr. Shetty said about right n- matters that are of secondary importance or requisite importance when it comes to like the Ruri knowledge versus I'll, I'll don't say secondary importance rather say that it's dissemination was not as much okay yeah. so what's the distinction between something like that and matters which have salvific con- consequence right like say if somebody says the Shahada you learn that word You've been reading about perennialism, or I don't even know what, I don't even know <laughs> so, so yeah. like, okay, good question, very good. Uh, I get your ideas question. Ideas that 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 matter in a in a, in the sense of salvation, yes. right? That you will enter paradise. So, paradise for example, heaven. if somebody says the shahada, then that's of salvific consequence, right? That'll that we're we're yes. told that that is enough for you to enter paradise. But there's a lot of obviously other matters that's a great in question. Islam that come into play. That make you a good Muslim. Yeah. So what's the distinction between those? Very good things? question. And the answer to that is from the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and from the Quran. The first in the Quran, Right. So whosoever rejects iman, his deeds are not accepted. So what do we say about someone who has whose belief is heretical, who takes even one heretical position? And from Ibn Umar, who narrates about the Qadariyah, who don't believe in predestination, that uh, tell them if they were to give the mountain of Uhud in gold, Allah would not accept it. So from these, we say that you're, you're basically asking the status of the heretic. And I'll answer it and tell you that his deeds, the good deeds of the heretic, he could be rewarded for them in the dunya. They're not accepted with Allah Ta'ala. That's why you're not allowed to pray behind a heretic. Okay, you know, to pray behind them because his salah is not valid to begin with. Mm-hmm. Heretic. S- number two, in the akhirah, the ha- Prophet ﷺ, heretic come to them at the fountain, and the angel said, "O Messenger of Allah, how does he know he's a Muslim? Because he has the marks of wudu, right? So the person was making wudu his whole life, but and he passed the sirat, right? So he did pass the sirat with the rest of the ummah. 
However, when he gets to the fountain of the Prophet, peace be upon him, on Yom Al-Qiyamah, the Mala'ika, they say, Oh, Messenger of Allah, not this one, not that one, not that one. And the Messenger says, looks at them. They say, right, إِنَّهُ قَدْ بَدَّلَ وَغَيَّرَ He's altered the, your religion after your death. Right? He's all, that means, he didn't say he's not a Muslim. He said he didn't do it right. You have to do it right. Can you be a Democrat and be a racist? No. <laughs> you're mean, not doing it yes. right. <laughs> yeah, okay. But it, in their th- in, it openly and expressively, no. You have to do it right. Can you be like an American and support communism? No, you're not doing it right. I you mean, have to do it right. See, if you see, want to fit the mold. Forget these analogies. You know what I'm saying, but, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think, yeah. was your question also along the line of, okay, believing in Jannah is a criterion to go into Jannah. But all it says is, La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah. Where does Jannah come into the picture of that phrase? Is that kind of what you meant? I think my question is more, right? I think my question is more, there's certain uh, primary beliefs of a Muslim, yeah. right? That that Allah has told us if if you say la ilaha illallah, if you if you take the shahada, you are Muslim, you will eventually enter paradise. Right? These things are vital to your salvation and your entrance I into Jannah. Saying. Yeah. Right? But but that that's not all that makes you a Muslim, right? Like Very good. I yeah. can, I can say the shahada and 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 I'm a Muslim, but if I'm not praying, right? If I'm not doing all these things, then I'm not I'm not being a, a good Muslim, right? Yeah. Like I'm not performing my fard. Yeah. I'm so not as long as you don't deny that prayer is a part of your Islam, right? Then you'll. I'm sorry. As long as you don't deny that prayer has been obli- obli- like one thing. If someone's lazy, they don't pray. That's a whole yeah. different story. But if someone says, yep. you know what, praying salah five times a day, right, in the direction of the qibla, that's not a part of Islam. Yeah. Then he's out of the fold of Islam, right? Right. So there's that distinction, right? Because oftentimes this is a process too, right? Yeah. Like, say somebody accept, embraces Islam. Yeah. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to say the shahada. Yeah. But they're not going to know all of. They might not necessarily know all of the other aspects yeah. to being a practicing Muslim yet, right? They may not know how to uh, how to pray yet. They may yeah. not may not how to do know how to do a lot of things. Yeah. And that's so that's a process for them to figure those things out but the fact that they don't know it from the time that they say the shahada yeah. doesn't mean that they're not muslim yeah in the so sense that's that why we, we look at it right mm-hmm. imam tahawi made it very very easy when he starts starts off the book he says what causes you to come into the fold of islam or if you were to leave islam basically what it means in paraphrasing is that what brought you into the fold of islam denying that takes you out of the fold of islam now that phrase is talking about the main things that we find in Hadith Jibreel, right? You know, you believe in Allah, the books, the angels. That's kind of what that that what that summarizes. La ilaha from Rasulullah. But in a hypothetical example, in a real example, people know that generally before they say La ilaha from Rasulullah. But let's say somebody is very very uh, intrigued by Islam, they become Islam right away, become Muslim right away. The only thing they're judged on right now after they say La ilaha from Rasulullah is they're not associating partners with Allah. They, they know that Allah is their creator and Muhammad is a final messenger, right? After they accumulate a little more knowledge that, okay, there's books, then they have to believe in the books. They go down the list. Let's say they learn one of the things every day, right? About Jannah. They learn about Jannah. Okay, now they have to believe in Jannah for that. You can say, but if you say that there's no such thing as Jannah, I believe there's a problem with the belief. That's what the study of Aqidah comes about. Right. You, de- you yeah. denied what was mutawatir, as the Sheikh mentioned. Yeah. You right. know? So yeah. basically, basically, 
as your even your understanding of what la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah means yeah that comes to encompass yeah the totality of your belief right yes. because your understanding of that is exactly. refined over time as you learn more things yes. well, about i mean it. there are there are people in this world who say la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah but are not muslim so let me give you an, two, two clear-cut examples which we can all agree upon, right? There are the Qadiani right. who do say La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, but by Muhammad they don't, they don't actually mean right. yeah. that he's the final messenger. Yeah. There can kind of be someone after him as well. well yeah. And then, you know, right. there, there are people that say that Muhammad is some yeah. dude from Chicago, right? right? Like the nation of Islam, yeah. Yeah. right? They're still saying La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, right. but it's, it's important to define... What what does a that true understanding mean? of right? That. What does the statement right. mean? Yeah. Right. And then along with the statement, the there are certain rules as well, right? So when you say Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? What is Rasul? What yeah. is Muhammad? Who is Muhammad? Right. right? If you believe that Muhammad is an actuality Abu Bakr, then you didn't believe in Muhammad, yeah. right? Yeah. This is an example. That's a yeah. great point, dude. Right. Very simple. But I mean, these are like definitions, spot, right? It's like if I say this table is square shaped, and then you're like, that's not square shaped. This yeah. is clearly a circle shaped table well it's not how i define square also (laughs) it also uh has to do with excuses for people for example someone in the south who believes that uh who was taught by his uh, evangelical you know church that allah is a different god like a pagan moon god Mm. so his denial of allah at that point is not the kufr that we talk about right and if someone like you said believed that muhammad was the elijah muhammad which is probably less now in the sense that people know Muhammad, who he is. Yeah. But in, in the South, they do actually, many people will tell you, that Allah is not God. It is some moon God, right? In that case, his rejection of that moon God is not a rejection yeah. of Allah because he didn't def- define and identify. And now, before we continue, uh, you had asked about the salvation of the heretic. We say that Allah finished that hadith that the angel Jibreel says to them, uh, or the, that he changed and altered your religion. Okay, and the prophet then says, "Fasuqan fasuqa," because that is angered Allah. So uh, the prophet will not be pleased with someone who angered Allah, who is not Allah is not pleased. So the prophet says, "Go away, go away." Now, where are they taken? Uh, it is believed that they will. Uh, they are not entering Jannah. Right, you're not entering something if the prophet is telling you to go away. So there's only another possibility: they're going to Jahannam. So where are the belief of heretics is that they're dragged into Jahannam. However, we also believe. No matter how bad your heresy is, someone who says La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah will never be treated by Allah like someone who never said it and who fought against it. That's also a very important Muslim belief that someone who utters that phrase, he will not be treated like someone who rejected that phrase. No matter how many heresies. So that means it could be many, 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 many years later and epochs later be pulled out of Jahannam. Right, and honestly, when you see the descriptions of Jahannam, it, it shouldn't wish it for anyone, no matter what they do. Right? right, so even a dunk in there would be, for an instant, would be not something that you would wish for people. But that is Allah is warning us of hellfire from heresy for a reason to avoid it, not to be happy. Oh, okay, the Shia they're all going to hell. No, that's not the reason why we're warned and given this knowledge about heresy and hellfire. Is so that we don't fall into it, and that we should try point, to try to explain to people why we believe that something's right. It's not because we all agreed; it's because of evidence. When we look at these, the evidence of what the text says, you can't deny it. Saying this, so don't say something the opposite of that, because there's a bad consequence. 
Yeah, and 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 that's why you know initially the the is my mic working? Yes, yes. it is. Okay. Uh, initially, right, the the topic, uh, the name was like known by necessity, right? That there are certain attributes of the deen, and we've talked about it this before, right? They're ma'lum min al-din bid-darura, right? There are they are absolutely known by necessity. So how do you define necessity? You know, and how do you define certain things? Because there are certain aspects of the deen that you ask. I wouldn't say now because there's there's idiots that will de- deny you know things that are clearly obvious. Yeah. But let's say 500 years ago, you go to a random Muslim country, you pick a 12 year old and say, "How many prayers are there in a day?" He's going to say five. Nobody's going to say six. Nobody's going to say four. Nobody's going to say one and a half. Right? You say it's like, um, uh, who is Muhammad? They're going to say he's the messenger of God, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right? And there are there are a list of questions, right, or a list of criterion which we define in Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah which are ma'adum min al-deen bil-darura, right? Now, I would argue that there are these same attributes where there are idiots running around saying there are no, no, there's four prayers in a day. You know, the fifth one doesn't really count, right? This is just yeah. an example. But there are certain things like this which are clearly clear-cut, right? Yeah. Like the mi'raj, was it physical or not? Denying such a thing, does that make, is that kufr, right? There are these certain things which, you know, are being forgotten, right? And this is where, you know, as, as Imran mentioned before, this tidal wave that's coming, that people are just forgetting things that are known by necessity. Yeah. Mm. So uh, the concept of known by necessity would be a discerning child in a Muslim environment, right? That's the baseline. So it's not, you know, that random person that you're saying, and maybe they're increasing now, that's in a non-Muslim community, Right, and was raised upon something else. So that person does not determine known in religion by necessity. What what determines that or the criterion is outside the academic approach or the technical approach. The the anecdotal approach would be any Muslim child who grew up in a Muslim family or a Muslim community. And when we say Muslim family, it's at least pray Jummah, right? Right. So or, or went to a Sunday school, so or something like that. So. It does say a lot when even that has not been transmitted properly. Sheikh, th- that, that's, does that change by time or no? It what? doesn't change by time. Right. It doesn't change by time because... Uh, I was about to bring out my inner scalia. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like yeah. it should. It, whatever it meant is what it meant and yeah. what it will always mean. It will always be that. And that's why when people look at uh, aqidah and doctrine, you go back to the, the whole purpose of tahawi. And why it's a valuable text. And anyone who says that it's not relevant, obviously he didn't understand why it was written in as a fool. But, but, but the, the but reason <laughs> is that, yeah, it's not relevant from the aspect of it doesn't handle how we're supposed to hand, handle transgender. Well, that's not the purpose of the text. The purpose of the text is to show us what is uh, uh, ha- what possesses the quality of being qat'i, ad-dalala, in the text. And he just listed them for you. He didn't even list. He, it's almost like a draft. If you read the Hawi, it reads like a draft. Yeah. He didn't organize the ideas, right? So the, when I'm teaching the Hawi as part of the Aqid, it's only one part of the Aqidah class that's coming in the fall, right. right? I actually reorganized it. And I was afraid. Am I, my, this is like such a revered text. Am I, am I, can I do this, right? So I called some of the Mashaikh and, and, uh, and I said, um, uh, I need to feel like, I need to reorganize it, right? I'm teaching Tahawi. And the first thing the Sheikh said is, oh, it's really disorganized, right? So I said, okay, alhamdulillah. So he said it. So, for example, you have chapters all over the place 
sections all over the place, right? So I'm actually going to sort of reorganize it. And of course, he may have a subtle wisdom behind why he put things where yeah. he put them, right? But uh, the whole purpose of the Hawi is that it lists for you the doctrines that make you a Muslim and make you from Edison and Jamal. Now, how does... I agree with you in the sense that Imam Tahawi's books should be taught to not just our children, but our, our new Muslims as well. But how do we make it relatable to the current uh, social that It climate? should just well, be I a chapter of Aqid. It I shouldn't be only Aqid. There's an important thing that you mentioned, I think, was somebody saying potentially, hey, this, how is this relevant to me now? Yeah. And I think the question is, or the important thing to consider there is that relevance is also contextual, right? So, like, something being relevant to your salvation, right, and your entrance into paradise is different from something being relevant to, like, current events. Exactly. Right? So No, no, no I'm talking about the current. So, uh, uh, with this new generation of Muslims, you see people saying, like, why are so-and-so going to hell? Like when when you have when you're having that thought that shows me that you have a problem, you have a deep rooted problem where you have allowed your emotion to be a governing body over what Allah SWT has already decreed. Like you, okay, yeah. so when when you're saying like when you're quite questioning and question, yes, there may be uh, a limit to how you can try to rationalize about how Allah SWT is, um saying that you know there's so many people who's going to go to heaven and as well as hell, but then you see so little people actually practicing the religion. How do you reconcile all these things? Yes, these are, you know, with discussions that you can have within um, the a lot of parameters that the Sharia allows, you know, but what, what we're seeing is a, a plague of this in, in, in our younger generation of Muslims who are growing up with this overly compassionate frame of thought where things that don't really align with their view, it's kind of being discarded, like yeah, that's the religious people talk. You know, I they, have, call, they uh, call it the RGs. I have a RGs. Yeah, they're the RGs. The religious what, what is group? RG? Religious guys. So okay, real, I actually have a perspective. Actor. I have a perspective on that, and that RG. even approach, yeah. I think it has to do with parenting. Oh, it's that no one ever put this person in their place, right? Yeah. So <laughs> no disciplining as a yeah. Like for example, do it over your, your opinion. How are you even, with what uh, nerve are you even offering an opinion on a sacred text that you're supposed to believe is sacred, right? It's like, for example, if one of your kids came up to you or some neighbor came up to you and advised you on, you know, how to comb your hair, right? It's like, how are you even having an opinion? Like, who are you even, mm. right? Also, it's like what, what, people, what things people consider sacred. If somebody was like, oh, I think the Constitution of America is wrong, yeah. everybody would be like, whoa, whoa, that's yeah. a sacred exactly. document. That's a foundation of our country, <laughs> yeah. right? You can't touch that. You yeah. Can't yeah. Get closer yeah, to that. Yeah, because we, we have been taught our place yeah. relative to that's that, very true. that document. That's right? But to, yeah. to separate with Sim, I think you're talking about, you may be talking about two different things. The text itself is not meant to be a type of text that's promoted amongst people to fix their aqidah. Rather, it's giving you guidelines, right? No, so let me t let me just finish. So what I mean is that it's not meant for you to have extreme detail. The reason why Imam Al-Tahawi gathered this is that, number one, he wanted to make a very, very simple style text. Number one, simplicity. Number two, 
is that what the ummah agrees upon. He didn't want to get into. I agree. I, I agree with you on all that. Those tenets and everything. My my position is that you could agree with all those tenets, but you're still falling into kufr by allowing your. No, I'm, getting to, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. I understood yeah. what you said. I understood what you said. So this is just like how we said about the prayers, right? Yeah. About the daily prayers. Five. That's just. Or let's talk about the five pillars of Islam. That's just a, a, a summarization of what your bodily function has to do to worship Allah. It's not all of Islam. Aqil al-Tahawiyah is going to tell you the basic things that you have to do in order to be in the fold of Islam. Right? That's why there's explanations of that now. Now, a contemporary explanation, mashallah, what Sheikh Shadi, I'm pretty sure, is doing, is that he's going to relate the tenets of Aqil al-Tahawiyah to 2018, basically. And he has he's going to be, inshallah, tackling those issues that people they don't realize are taking them out of the fold of Islam so what I, the reason I'm mentioning this is from Imam Tahawi's time to our time there's going to be many different explanations based on its time and place because how the Tabi'in understood the Aqidah there's a lot there's a different type of explanation than that's going to require here right so just to put that in perspective and the, the thing is that as far as the organizing of Imam Tahawi in the text the organization there is of what I like to say, uh, you know, is there's 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 hikmah behind the uh, madness, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a condescending way because it's an awesome text. The first thing is that he starts off with Allah's attributes for the like the first six lines, and then he talks more about Allah, and then the section talks about Muhammad sallam, right? And then he breaks it, breaks the numbers off in sections. Yeah, he didn't talk about why this number starts there. It just he sectioned it off. But what makes this awesome is he left fiqhi issues for later. What do I mean by fiqhi issues? Now there's a very awesome, there's a very clear distinction that has to be made. There's a big difference between aqidah and fiqh, right? Aqidah is belief, fiqh is bodily how to do's, right? But why did he include fiqh in here? He talked about the mas'af the khufain, right? The wiping of the sack. Why would you include that in, the, in, in an aqidah text? It has to do with fiqh. It's because the narrations of Masr al-Khufayn came so much wiping over the khuf or the socks that it is impossible to deny that Muhammad did it. If you were to deny that Muhammad wiped over the khuf after knowing that it's mutawatir, that's bounds of going out of the fold of Islam because it happened so many times. Same thing with the miswak. Because you're basically saying all our people who gave us our religion are liars. Exactly. Or incompetent. Incompetent, but not only that, you're saying that it didn't happen. And Muhammad we know that the Sunnah is the second type of Wahi, right? We have Wahi al-Matlu, which is the Quran. Ghayr Matlu is the Sunnah, right? You're saying that Muhammad didn't do it. And you're saying that, that because that is Wahi from Allah, even Mas'ab the Khufayn. The Miswak is, is, is also Wahi from Allah, but Allah allowed him to put it in his own words. That's what the Hadith are, right? So you're saying that the Wahi didn't happen when it happened. That's very problematic. It's like saying that this verse is not in the Quran. Mm-hmm. It's not revealed. This surah doesn't belong in the Quran, right? So, not only is it a very intricate and amazing science that is developed, science is an understatement for it, of how we uh, 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 talk about the Quran and the Sunnah and, and how we uh, solidify our, our uh, authenticity, but. The, the the years that continue to go on in 2020-2025 we're going to be having more benefits that we're going to be deriving from this wahi of Rasulullah right so Imam al-Tahawi rahimahullah 
he included that fiqh, the, the fiqh in there to let you realize that there's some overlap in fiqh and aqidah. Not on the basic level of aqidah, and, but there is going to be overlap because of chain of narration of what you start in those things. Yes, in yeah. believing in those things. Nobody's saying you have to do it. That's not what the text is saying. We're trying to describe how to do it. Yeah, trying to describe how to, to do it. That's fiqh. Jazakallah khairan. That's fiqh. But to say that it never happened is problematic, yeah. right? Yeah. And the way that it should be taught is that that the tahawiyah should be a chapter yeah. in a contemporary aqidah text or teaching or curriculum. And you can bring in hot button issues in the tahaw- uh, under explanations tahawiyah or put them separately as salvation. Like who goes to heaven, who goes to hell is a big issue because yeah. people don't want their friends to go to hell, yep. right? <laughs> well, right. the, the dogs are probably the most innocent creatures, right? All, all dogs more than we have, right? All dogs go to heaven. And uh, uh, but and exclusivity is a second issue. Exclusivity is like, well, why should I believe that Islam only is true? And this is at that point, people, uh, um, you know, uh, doubting. And uh, I mean, sorry. Yeah. The, the thing, the problem, the the thing that that Sim was mentioning. This this is an the problem that starts more basic even than anything addressed in the Tahawiyah is that people think themselves more merciful than Allah. So, and they think that mercy means whatever they think it means rather than what Allah means and the technical definition that it has in the Sharia. Who gave you the mercy that you have? Yeah. He's the source of the mercy. And who gave your mother the mercy that she showed you which she should have smacked you. Yeah, Yeah. which also (laughs) goes back to it goes back to the household, the home of knowing your place. Right, yeah. like I don't know, like I think they don't understand hierarchies. Exactly, like all of our, every, even Christians, Catholics, I know that they might have something questioned that they respected their their sources. Right, the idea of disrespecting it by thinking I have a better idea. Um, now, of course, there's different types of asking questions, and Prophet Ibrahim salam asked a question. But Allah Taala, notice He said, "How do you resurrect?" Not why do you resurrect, right? Or do you really resurrect? Here, That's assumed. He's saying, how do you resurrect? And Allah, to teach us a lesson, ask, don't you believe? Right? And wait a second. Ibrahim already believed. He's just asking how. He didn't doubt. He didn't say, do you really resurrect? Right? So Allah is teaching us a lesson. When you come in with an attitude of submission, once you do, you can ask what you want. Mm-hmm. If you come in with an attitude of submission, Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam asked, why do people go to hell? Oh Allah, why do you put people in the hellfire? Uh, Allah Ta'ala didn't answer him. Right? Sometime later, Allah Ta'ala ordered him to grow a, a, a plot of wheat for the people to eat. So he grew a plot of wheat. He never got an answer to his first question, but he forgot about it a long time ago. He thought maybe he shouldn't have asked it. He grew this wheat, and he said, now present that wheat for the Bani Israel to take. So he presented it. Allah said, this wheat is beautiful. You did an excellent job. However, you left one batch over there. He said, no, that's the wheat that didn't turn out good. He said, what do you do with it? He said, we use it for fire. (laughs) 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 Right. Uh, And and, and also to go back to Sim's question, right? How is, you know, these questions of Aqidah or the Tahawi, how is it relevant for people today. I think the way that Aqidah was taught, you know, at the time of Imam al-Tahawi was to address the Jabariya and the Qadriya yeah. and the Mu'tazila. I mean, the way that it's taught today is the to... And the yeah, all, <laughs> all the other people, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the way that it's taught today is to address, you know, topics of 
secular humanism. And, yeah. uh, the roots atheism. are the same. It's, 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 it's yeah. to address. So maybe you're not teaching, you know, oh, you know, what is the causal reality of like, you know, when, it, when an, I, you know, like the, like the, like the, you're not teaching the differences between the Asharis and the Maturidis and the, and, and the, you know, like the small significant details, but because it's not that relevant anymore. Yeah. Right? And I want to bring up something else that, the person who comes with that mindset is still stuck with the fact that my relationship with my fellow human is more important than my relationship with God. The Tahawiyah, half of it is get to know your Lord, yeah. right? That's more important for you to understand you and your Lord than to understand your relationship vis-a-vis some other human beings, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think, remember when I put out that thing that the, the, the most important thing in the universe is learning about Allah, right? That where is that? That Allah is more important than anything else in this universe. And that's been missing. So Aqidah to us is now, okay, let's talk about this issue or that vis-a-vis other humans. Yeah. Forget humans. Yeah. How about, do you know your Lord? The biggest kufr is violating hukuk al-ibad, yes. not yeah. violating Allah's rights. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. How they're, that's how they're viewing it. And, uh, and we got to say, hold on and a second. And they're making up some of those hukuk. Exactly. So we, we got we to tell you, it, Allah is more important than these people. Learn that first. Be interested in that. If you're not interested in the attributes of Allah, get interested. Yeah. If you get something from this class and you were like, okay, well, okay, okay, believe in God. Now, what am I supposed to do with Janet? What am I supposed to do with uh, Marcos? What am I supposed to do with, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, whoever Shia friend of mine that I have? So we said, listen. Shouldn't have Shia friends. <laughs> we say, listen. We can cover that stuff, but you have a bigger problem. You think that's more important than learning the attributes of Allah? If you're going to get anything out of this class, put Allah first. Know that Allah Ta'ala is more important than all these other things, yeah. right? Rasulullah and his, your love for him should come before that you care how much is go, what's going on in the news, right? That's what you should be care about. And anyone tells you, listen, all this stuff, we could settle it after we've dealt with Trump, Right. It's like wait, you still haven't gotten the point, right? <laughs> because if if you die, you're going to meet Allah. You're not going to meet, you know, uh, someone who judged your social activism, right? You're going to meet God. You didn't even know Him. You had one chance. That's your, this is your chance. So so that's where we want to elevate Allah. To, because once you elevate Allah and His Messenger, and you become firm, then when they give us direction on how to live, we're strong with it. So okay, so I understand that we have to, um, like you know, playing devil's advocate. I understand we have to like learn about Allah and learn about the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But why do I have to go to this text called Tahawiyah? Aren't there other Aqidah texts out there? Like, why are we picking there's that problem. text? There's fun. You can go. No problem. Just learn first. Can I say something? Yeah. <laughs> so that you can read Barbara Hari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I think we're getting on a really cool track because me and Sim were having a discussion that's going to be the next step after. I think if, I think Sim should bring it up because he articulated very well, but I can bring it up too if he doesn't want to. The first thing is that why Aqil Tahawiyah? You don't have to, like he said. You can put it in your own words. It doesn't have to be, it could be your own book. But I'll give you a personal story of mine. In my school, they wanted to change the Aqidah books. Like first semester, for 10th grade, we go through Aqidah Tahawiyah. Second semester, we go to Tetzkiyat and Nafs, so purification. When do you guys result. do Kitab al-Tawheed? We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I wanted to keep that book on board is to keep people in touch with the original <laughs> classical text that the Tabi'in wrote. If you were to take out Aqidah Tahawiyah, then all of your books in the Islamic curriculum are going to be contemporary books. I, we need something Sometimes that's going to be <laughs> something that's going to be grounded from the past, something classical. Because 
when you're talking about relative topics now and it's a contemporary book, that's cool. But what if you were able to take a book? There's two benefits in this. You get them back to the original heritage of Muslims, which was a writing of Abu Jafar, Al-Tahawi. And the second thing is, you're bringing that love back of classical knowledge. And the second thing is, you're able to talk about these same tenets of aqidah that he talks about and make it relevant to today, right? So if you weren't, let's say that we, were, we wouldn't talk about even Tahawi today. Imagine how many people would miss out on knowing what Tahawi was. Yeah. They're going to know, oh, wow, he was this, he was a chef. Alhamdulillah, he became a Hanafi later. That's really you know? the secret why they want to <laughs> <laughs> He became Hanafi later because he felt that it was the most advanced method, mashallah. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we, we have to know about these people who are Tabi'een and the people... Um, we can, if we just read contemporary books, our mind is just going to be contemporary. We're not going to understand the real picture of Here, the first generation, second generation. Here's another point. When it comes to religion, there are two unique points. Number one, uh, God and His Prophet don't change, right? Right. Unlike the current situation, it always changes, right? Fatawa and fiqh and political things always change. But God and His Prophet don't change. And, as a re- and the heavens don't change. Doctrines don't change. As a result, what you get from the closer the time to the prophet is more pure so that's the one thing as opposed to technology <coughs> or or other sciences where it's the effort of man to come up with these sciences then what's later is better right so yeah. it's the opposite what's l- so that and the, from one aspect second aspect is the agreement of scholars many people ask well if all scholars agree and that's the truth Right, that's the best reflection of the truth. Then, how do you explain that all the scholars of science, for example, at one point agreed that the Earth is flat, and they were wrong? Well, that, because observe, the sciences of observation are different than the science of revelation. Revelation was right and cannot be possibly wrong. Well, the, the, the science of observation could be possibly wrong. What you just said is exactly yeah. what a lot of the reformers, quote unquote, reformers of the religion or yeah. Islam are. I mean, you know them much better than I do, actually, from. Uh, some of the people from George Mason, George Washington, um, Georgetown University, or whatever. Oh, all the G's. All the, G's. Yeah. All the Georges. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the arguments. Like they say, like, wait, who is Imam Tahawi to set these um, guidelines on what yeah. uh, the aqidah is and what it entails? Why can't it be so and so? Why can't it be me as long as I'm recognizing the Quran and Sunnah and the, the various interpretations from those two uh, legal sources? Uh, I'm okay. No, I, I think it goes a little deeper than that. Can yeah, I just add on to what he said? Go ahead. So yesterday's discussion was really interesting. We wanted to say it for the podcast. He was mentioning that there's a group of individuals that are saying, okay, then how do we know that what is this classification of mutawatir that you're using and how, who is it to decide what is mutawatir and what isn't mutawatir? Even agreeing upon mutawatir is not 100% and we only agree on things that are qat'i and the different numbers of people of even voice of what mutawatir was is not even written in gold or in stone, I should say. Um, and how are we supposed to now believe Imam al-Tahawi? Who is he to say that all of these are mutawatir and qat'i and we're just going to list it? You know, This is yesterday's podcast? No, we were just talking about ideas about where mutawatir. Now, I didn't know... And I don't know if you uh, what your editing process is. Maybe you don't even want to open we don't this. Edit. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if this is the direction that you guys want the podcast to go, it's totally cool. But it, it's it's something that there's individuals that are are talking. Obviously, they're challenging. They're challenging. I should say the 
the uh, Mutawatir Criterion. Yeah, the, okay. the original criterion that the scholars are using yeah. to derive, like some of the numbers that they come up with, like 40, yeah. and like wh- how are they coming up with or these seven. numbers? What's okay. the source of... I mean, see, he, this is is, it, are well, these people on, who the, just want to get like, rid of hadith? Is that what yeah. it is? I think this, there's a lot the, of people who are, that, who are more it? like reformers. Because it's like reformers, the, but they're like, who is Imam Tahawi to say these are all mutawatir? How does he know when he puts them all down? Okay, there's before you, before you continue, I'm yeah. going to bring a point right here. They should know, and everyone should know. Before they even get into the response, their challenge is insignificant. <laughs> I like it. It will fall on deaf ears. Well, it will not last. And no one's paying attention. One thing is, is, okay, is, is that's the first thing they need to know. If they're calling yeah. into a question of the credibility of an individual, right? In this case, uh, Imam Tahawi, right? Like, yeah. who is he to say this? Well, I mean, that same criticism could be applied to your criticism. That's exactly what I'm <laughs> saying. Who are you that's exactly to the say point. that he's invalid? Because I could make the same argument based exactly. on the same foundational principle, exactly. and I'd be just as right as you saying, "Who is he?" Be- be- the right? Re- if we if we start going down that route, then Nobody can be an authority on anything. Exactly. <laughs> the re- reason being is that the credibility of these these <laughs> Sunni imams, the credibility of these Sunni imams, number one, they are so many, and their credibility is so established and undeniable, and there's so many, that they are like a mountain range. They're like all men, though. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> they're a mountain range, and you have produced for me a spoon of sand. Right? Yeah. So immediately... There is not a contest. We will answer you, but not make sure that you understand that you're not a challenger. Mm, got to flip them in their place. You, you exist as a challenger, but just to tell you the credibility of the scholars who have given us our deen and passed our deen on to us has lasted so long. It's so deep. They are so many. I just want to remove that illusion that you're a challenge. You're not a challenger. You're you're come up on the beach. You urinated a puddle and say, "Here's another ocean." Right? Takbir. <laughs> okay. So, well, this is the doctor has speaking. So why, why? why I love speaking? Not spoken. In, in addition to this yeah. point, I, ha- I have another point, which, unfortunately, I think a lot of this problem has to do with the fact that people don't actually learn logic or take a class in logic, and we uh-huh. brought this up many, many times. Right? This is like taking an idea established in any sort of science. Say, say economics, right? Some person comes and say, oh, you know, I have a new definition of industrial, like, capitalism that is different from, like, you know, David Hume and Adam Smith, and I'm just going to come bring my own new definition as if throwing out the past is going yeah. to make, you know, you right all of mm-hmm. a sudden, right? Any sort of science, right? Even the scientific method is Great based point. on the idea that there are established ideas that have occurred, and then based on that, we now believe in certain principles, yeah. right? They've the already same, been tar- tried yeah, and tested. They, they've already been tried and tested. That's literally the basis of science and how it works, mm-hmm. right? Any discipline, any knowledge is based on epistemology. Where does your knowledge actually come from, and yeah. how is it established and proven, right? Anybody can come along and say, I think, you know, David Hume was wrong in his definition of industrial capitalism. Yeah. Nobody cares. What exactly. <laughs> but this is exactly, exactly. That's exactly the reason why I said, are these people that want... <laughs> you affected these guys greatly. That, that's why I was like, are, are these people that want to get rid of Hadith? Because it, job, if it is, we deal with them the way we deal with Quran Yun, right? Yeah. Whatever. We don't yeah. argue with you. We yeah. go, all right, sure. Just don't talk. No, about I mean, if you want to... You, you don't accept Hadith... If you want to issue a challenge to uh, the epistemological sources, 
then write your thesis and yeah, make right. that claim, but don't just like throw anything at the wall and hope it, it sticks and say and, like, oh, okay, maybe I. But don't, and don't tell me you wrote your thesis at a Western school because they they're the people who like published you know Patricia Cron. Yeah. So who had to take it back? Who had to retract her whole thesis? Her and so, uh, what's his face? Michael. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, whatever his last name is. So I, I actually have a really like practical yeah. scenario that I want you let's walk let's walk through right because I think there's a, we just we're assuming here that people like maybe they have like these kind of like weird um, intention you know th- they themselves are just like trying to cheat right and looking for a loophole to yeah. cheat that's their intention. Um, I I I, uh, I know of a sister from a couple years ago that she came to she posted on Facebook this thing about she wore hijab. But then she wrote some. She read some article about uh, from Khalid Abu Fadl about like how hijab is not like obligatory, and she herself, being a layman, sees his qualifications and is like, "Oh, he looks like a very well-read individual. He, is. he must know what he's talking about." He doesn't. So therefore, <laughs> so like, but then, but then, how do you get that? How do you break through that? Because oh. I think that's very common where someone in our world will feel like, "Oh, this guy's qualified. He seems to be qualified." And he seems to know what he's talking about, and it makes sense. Listen, the world of medicine. Okay. There are medicines out there that have been tried and tested for 30 years, 100 years, 200 years. And there's a medicine that just came out yesterday, right? Not all interpretations are equal, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to base your heaven and hell on an interpretation by on one fringe, individual? On the fringe. That's on the fringe? That has it, no credibility. Has not been tried and tested through the years. It's a guy. Heaven that, and hell is based on this. It could be a guy that 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 was valedictorian at Harvard Medical School, but then comes out and goes the germ theory. Yeah. It's questionable. <laughs> We're not going to go based on that. We're going to go based on humors and you know some other stuff that I find more attractive. I don't care what your qualifications are. You're yeah. you're you're either a madman or an idiot. Yeah. Or, or some kind of huckster, or you just want the glory of being like I changed and revolutionized right. everything. And you're one and, person. In all three cases, yeah. you're you're one person, and your thing hasn't been tried and with. tested. And that we've seen it in our front or in our uh, our own lifetimes with the vaccine guy. Is he here? Yeah, he's at yeah, Princeton. He's back. I thought he's in LA. Oh, he's in LA. Oh, I didn't follow. Oh, okay. So I didn't follow the news on him. But the 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 vaccine guy was the same thing. Yeah. Right, one guy. He was trying to sell the pants. Started the whole thing. The uh, vaccine vaccination causes whatever. Anti-vax. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So and look where that got it. The guy's in jail now because yeah. he was a fraud. Yeah. Not saying everyone and one of them interpreted as a fraud, but you're going to base something so weighty, yeah. right, on one person or two people or ten. And I'll tell you, uh, if everyone in the world today, everyone in the world agreed on a mesada, right, that's still. Minute in comparison to the past of Islamic history, like insignificant in comparison. I think we to also have Islamic a weird. Yeah. Uh, people seem to have a weird fixation on like upheaval and revolution, not just yeah. in the political sense, That's but what also you said. gotcha but, moments, but That's also what they want. of I- ideas. Yeah. Right? Like, let's just let's turn this idea one eighty on its head. Yeah. Why, for no other sake other than to just. Shake things up, right? And and oh, and, and you know what they use? They use, <coughs> oh, I'm the Imam Ibn Humble of this time, or right. I'm a, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah <laughs> of this time. Uh, you know, I'm like, yeah. get out of here. Persecuted. Yeah. The best yeah. part is Imam Ahmed 
the defining characteristic of his fic is that he did not give weight to his own opinions. <laughs> like that is the no hallmark of his usul. And yeah. so good luck. And the problem with I see the problem I have with like these like extreme skeptical type of people, which is like the majority of people in America nowadays, right? This like extreme skepticism where you deny everything, you deny You're a loser the if you follow something. Well, you're a loser <laughs> if you follow something, you deny like the definitions of anything. It's like, oh what what is hadith really? yeah. <laughs> what is mutawatir? Right? When you start denying definitions of things, then you can't have a conversation with yeah. people, right? Yeah. You can't even discuss anything at that nothing has nothing has secret, meaning at, they do at have that point. Cows, and it's Oh, they do. They have. They, they have, have. They have. They have subjects that lines that they won't cross, and they're one hundred percent whatever is this week's yeah. ideology. Yes, you're right. So and I, then it changes next week, I, and then all of a sudden yeah. that becomes hard on the challenge. Mm-hmm. Somebody. I mean, I think I just pulled it up on. Um, this is why I said they're not worth even arguing with because they don't even know what they're going to argue by the time they answer. That's true. Yeah. The same it. people. I know the same. I know people today that are, and I know. I, I don't want to change the. Subject to this, but I know people today that are all on the the LGBT bandwagon that like ten years ago were like just berating these yeah. same people yeah. and insulting them, yeah. and so and and fine, you can say that okay, people have a capacity for change and growth and all that, but the fact that these 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 ideological switches occur so often is evidence that there's not no firm rooting in any and of them. Yeah, that's the problem. Exactly with the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah and, and and like I, I just like it's just a coincidence. Your 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 moral evolution just happens to track exactly. perfectly right. with the, what's on the trend, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just pulled it up because uh, somebody <laughs> sent it to me earlier. There's a Facebook post about you know the new that Jersey City is decriminalizing pot, and somebody like posted it up. Uh, I don't know who it exactly is. Somebody I don't follow state government as closely but it's like you know they posted up you know proud to have jersey city lead the way and like pot decriminalization uh, and the like uh the problem with this i have is like this statement you know proud to have jersey city lead the way 30 years ago this same person was probably like you know <laughs> head over heels about oh i hate pot you know it causes yeah. like all these problems in the world and it causes like you know our kids to go astray all this stuff these people are weak-minded and, and, and it's <laughs> So I, I cleared his statement a few a few years ago. You know, Sheikh Hamza Makbul actually he 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 told me a great statement, and I remember it all the time. That if you don't have a stance in anything, you know, that you don't have a foundation or yeah. a belief in anything, that you're just like you're just like <laughs> a leaf blowing in the wind. Yep. You know that somebody will come along and say something and whisper something in your ear, and you float from one tree you know, to another without any what, right. any it's, foundation at all. It's right? funny because you and I were talking about this, or I sent you a text the other day, right? So I was reading job descriptions the other day, you know, and and one of the things that that struck me in one of these job descriptions was that the the, the ideal candidate possessed uh, the ability to to recognize that they had strong opinions that are loosely held. And I read that statement and they I was like... They had strong opinions strong, that are loosely strong held. Strong opinions loosely held. This was in a job description, right? That you should you should embody the, the phrase having strong opinions loosely held. And I read that and I was like, this is completely nonsensical. Yeah. What is a strong opinion that's loosely, loosely held? held? Yeah. Right? Isn't that a weak opinion then? Yeah. <laughs> and, if it, and if it's and and the fact that you want everybody, every candidate to conform to this, that's a strong opinion, strongly held. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by, by your recruiting team. Yeah. So, so now, it, it's it's this idea that. Let me tell you something else. The way people mm-hmm. live, 
also affects their take on whether or not they should adopt something new or keep something, uh, keep tradition. And if you live in a place where, let's say, in a uh, cutting-edge place where you got to stick out, such as a university, academia, then you profit and benefit from bringing something new. However, if you exist in a place like a neighborhood mosque, that's you teaching at a neighborhood mosque like I do, right? Uh, and you teach ki- at all ages, kids. Now, when you teach kids, you know that you have, and you keep teach common folk, right? Plumbers, everyone, right? That come in, you got to keep one doctrine. The whole mosque has a one doctrine. If you introduce a second opinion, you will just confuse a poor it's guy true. who came very, to bring his family to the mosque, mm-hmm. right? So we all agree that it is really bad, right, to mix things up like this. That's good leadership, man, mashallah. Right? So how people live, if you don't live in a little family or a tribe, right, then you have, then, it, then most likely you would want to bring something new, right, so that in academia you could stand out. In the speaker circuit, you could stand out. There are some people who live in speaker circuits. There are some people who live in academia. For them, they need a new take all the time. Or they live online. They need a new take. In our world, right, in our neighborhood mosque, we need the same take, right? Why? So that the kids get a healthy upbringing. Me and all my friends and all my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle and grandfather, they believe in the same set of principles. So that kid grows up stable. Stability, that's the main thing. No confusion, right? And he can now be confident in his deen. He knows what it is. He has plenty of support. So... With the loss of family structures and even extended family and tribal and neighborhood mosque structures, then the view of how how do you view these things, right, are all uh, flipped upside down too. Yeah, so I think uh, we're at like a good point now. We should wrap it up for lunch, and then we're going to come back to the same topic that Dr. Chedi, you just mentioned because the next thing that we're going to talk about is the idea of consumption, and we live in a consumption economy. And oh, okay. the, this consumption economy has sort of affected the Muslim population. Good. I thought well. you were going to talk about Muta, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave we'll leave that for the Mad Mamluks version of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just messing around. All right, we're taking a break right now? All right, yeah, we're going to take a lunch break, right, uh, Lord, and then we'll come back in a half hour. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk.